This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, WSTers? Welcome to another edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Big Wednesday show today. Big night tonight in the peg. AEW is here. I know many of our WST listeners will be there looking forward to the show, and uh, maybe we'll chat about that a little bit at the end of the program before we're done. Lots to get to, though, right off the hop. Jets lose last night in Carolina, and some very interesting developments with the club last night, including an extended benching of the Jets' top line of Mark Scheifele, Kyle Connor, and Nito Niederreiter. We did hear from Niederreiter after the game. We'll get into some of that as well as what Coach Rick Monas had to say. Break down the game and, of course, look ahead to tomorrow's tilt with the Boston Bruins, who shockingly lost last night to the Chicago Blackhawks of all teams. Um, so we've got lots of Jets to talk about. And we're looking forward to a visit from Murata Tesh of The Athletic. Um, Murat's got a really interesting piece sort of revisiting the narrative around the trade deadline for the Winnipeg Jets. I'm very interested to talk to him about that today, especially considering Niederreiter and Vladislav Nemetsnikov's contributions to the club since they have become Winnipeg Jets. Um, and a little bit later on, we'll also go around the National Hockey League with Stephen Wino from the AP, get his thoughts on everything coming out of the GM meetings and take a little more of a closer look at the playoff races in both the East and the West. And later on, before we're finished today, really looking forward to this, our first ever guest from the Winnipeg Sea Bears, the first player signed by our new basketball team in the CEBL, Chad Posthumus, going to join us, fill us in a little bit more on the league, him and his excitement about playing here in the peg for the Sea Bears in uh, the inaugural season coming up. So going to be a great one. Welcome to everyone watching on YouTube. If you've just found us, make sure to hit that red subscribe button and join us daily. We're live at 1 p.m. Central. Although if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you're not able to join us live. You can always get it um, at your convenience um, as it'll be right there in your subscribed um, videos when you get on YouTube. And of course, if you're just finding us on YouTube, don't forget the audio podcast is available just in time for your drive home every day. Search Winnipeg Sports Talk wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Um, all right, just before we bring in Michael Remus, I have to give a big thanks to the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day. Princess Auto, Cool Bet Canada, Little Brown Jug, Wallace & Wallace, Vita Health Fresh Market, Consolidated Supply, Canadian Club, F Apparel, Manitoba Battery, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Royal Sports, and uh, plenty of fodder for today's Why Not Question of the Day for Not Autocorp down at Waverly and McGilvery. Michael Remus, what's going on? Are you ready to uh, are you ready to enjoy some high-quality sports entertainment this evening? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. My first night out in a while. I'm uh, going to see. I think it's going to be a great atmosphere, a lot of smart fans here. Uh, homecoming for Winnipeg's uh, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega, Don Callis. Chris Jericho being uh, given a nice award uh, from the city today. He had a street uh, honoring, you know, named after him and a nice ceremony. So Don Callis said they wanted to you know, bring out the red carpet for them, and the city certainly did. So I think people are going to be fired up tonight, and uh, I'm going to be fired up, but we're here to talk about uh, mostly get over, you know, get over uh, last night's Jets loss. Just quickly, what street are they changing to Jericho? Portage Avenue? No, it's um, Chris Jericho Way now from uh, Chris there's an Jericho honorary Chris Jericho Way. 
I saw um, Virgin Radio. I would imagine it must be it must be in St. James. I would imagine. Yeah, it's in like Westwood. Um, It's called Wordsworth Way, known as Chris Jericho Way. And here's the picture on social media with Amber and Chrissy Troy from uh, from Virgin Radio. So there's Jericho. Uh, That's pretty cool. I got to be honest. Uh, Well done. Well, I, I knew that there'd be something for for Jericho when he came back. As I said, uh, it, it is a bit of a Winnipeg homecoming tonight. Jericho, Kenny Omega, and of course, Don Callis, who joined us on the program last Friday. Lots of fun. But uh, of course, the main event for us last night was the Winnipeg Jets and the Carolina Hurricanes. And I mean, that's a frustrating game. Um, and we'll hear from Rick Bonus, who was somewhat frustrated um, after the game last night and that the Jets played a pretty darn good game. And the coach was very pleased with three of his lines. Unfortunately, the line that he wasn't very pleased with, Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, and Nito Niederreiter were on for the first three goals against. And we haven't seen this in a long time. Found themselves stapled to the bench for the better part of 12 minutes in the second period last night, Reem. Yeah, and looking at the numbers, you want to be like, how could you bench... Shifley and Connor, these are their two best scorers. Well, you look at how they were playing. They were on for three goals at five at five on five. They played five, you know, almost six minutes together, did not register a shot attempt, and had 12 shot attempts against. I mean, they basically weren't you know functioning out there <laughs> properly. I mean, what can you say? You look at the first goal, um, Dylan throws it up the boards, thinks Connor's going to be there, and Connor's, instead of going to get the puck, he's leaving the zone early like how I play defense uh or play play uh, forward you know trying to cherry picking style and it just like you know you know the second one you know maybe was a pretty nice shot from the you know from the what from the boy you know side there I think at that certain point Bones like I've seen enough these guys aren't generating any offense and we gotta I gotta have him take a seat because the other lines are going and credit to Nikolai Ehlers who kind of was it last week we're like this guy's gotta get going this guy's gotta start getting on the score sheet and you look at his last five games here he scored again yesterday um i'll bring up his last couple games i mean this guy's just been getting points and i think he's coming back into it so in his last one two three four five games he got six points two goals four assists is plus two so i mean ehlers was going in tough for niederreiter who's been so good he did extend his uh point streak as a jet yesterday or last night seven points in seven games i mean this guy has been absolutely unbelievable but those three together were not working, and Bones had to step in and say, okay, you guys need a seat here. And, I mean, Niederreiter said they, after the game they deserved it. We'll get to his comments later. Uh, Brass Balls Blake in chat, KFC is missing one of the 13 secret ingredients right now. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> well done. Well done, uh, Triple B. Um, yeah, he hasn't been himself as of late and certainly has been struggling. Um, and all of this comes at a time when, you know, Shifley, certainly on the weekend, I thought looked a lot better, a lot more engaged. And I don't think anyone has any complaints about Nito Niederreiter. And we'll hear from this from Bones in, in, in a minute. But I think it spoke volumes um, about what the head coach had to say about one of the newest members of the Winnipeg Jets and how he in particular handled the benching. Um you know, stayed on the bench, was loud, was, you know, uh, encouraging his other teammates. Um, and I think he's just showing, I mean, another level of of the leadership that he's bringing to the club. Um, and 
as we'll hear a little bit later on and talk about this with Marat afterwards, I mean, Ken and Mike were there, um, wanted to, you know, as, as normally, you know, they request for particular players after the game. Well, the request for, for Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor, both who declined and who was out there owning it after the game, their line mate, Nino Niederreiter. I, I, I'll, I'll say this right now because it was somewhat of a tongue in cheek joke on Saturday night, but you know, after the relief of the game on Saturday, I was sitting around with some of the guys the, that I was watching the game, and someone mentioned that, of course, is at the time where Bones had just mentioned that it was very, very doubtful that Lowry or Morrissey would be playing in the game the next day. And they said, well, who's going to wear the A's? And I jokingly said, well, Niederreiter, uh, Niederreiter and Nemetsnikov um, <laughs> being the two newest players because of how great that they'd been. I'll tell you what, Nino Niederreiter in a very quick period of time has shown a lot of the things that you want from a member of your leadership group. And I got to tell you, this game tomorrow is going to be fascinating, Remus. First of all, we'll get to this in a minute, how the team looks with the expected return of Pierre-Luc Dubois, but also what the response is from Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor going up against the class of the National Hockey League um, after a game in which they were sort of singled out and sat on the pine for an extended period of time, which just simply has not happened. Yeah, Nino Niederreiter has been awesome. Not only has he scored, you definitely saw him laying the body with a couple big hits in the first period. Even in one of his first games against the LA Kings, he was getting into it. He brings, look, the Jets are a team of uh, skinny guys and medium guys. This is ice hockey. Nino is that that big guy who comes in. They just didn't have that style, and the way that he carries himself, uh, you know, in the media, and he owned up, you know, to their play. I, we were, I was, you know, having joking to myself, like, yeah, put put the C on Nino, and I'm in the Kenny and Rennie chat, and other people are typing that too. I mean, he's become <laughs> a fan favorite right away. Uh, we're hearing extend Nino uh, talk. Um, it, it's amazing how a it's guy in the has chat fit- right now, guys. I would extend Nito Ryder today. Well, we won't be able to do it until after yeah. Jan- uh, July first. Um. But I'll tell you what, I mean, I think this guy in a very short period of time has shown what a great acquisition he has been. And uh, I think a lot of people that have been watching this club since he arrived in Winnipeg would agree um, that hopefully Nero Niederreiter is here for longer than this year and next because he's just been such a great addition to the club. Now, we're going to get to the comments and we'll talk more about this game. But Remo, I, I did sort of want to bring up back to the point that you made about how good Nikolai Ehlers has looked. And let me throw this out to everyone listening. Um, that second line of Wheeler with Nemetsnikov in the middle and Ehlers, I think a lot because of the jump that Ehlers has shown lately and a little bit more aggressive when it comes to trying to generate scoring chances and getting pucks on net, has looked as good as that line has in a long, long time. Um, I'm, I'm really interested, and we'll talk about this with Marat, how do we think things are going to look tomorrow, assuming that Pierre-Luc Dubois comes back into the lineup? I mean, does he come in in the middle of Ehlers and Wheeler and Nemetsnikov moves down? I can make a pretty strong argument that Nemetsnikov's been a huge part of the success of that line and a big boost to Nikolai Ehlers. And I'm not sure that Rick Bonus is going to want to move Nemetsnikov off of that line. So if you bring in Pierre-Luc Dubois... Does that mean Blake Wheeler is the odd man out? And if he's the odd man out on that line, is there the potential that Blake Wheeler could be skating on the fourth line? Because I think Rick Bonus is pretty pleased right now with the way Adam Lowry's rolling with Morgan Barron and Mason Appleton. 
I was thinking about this too, Huss. I was wondering like, where would Wheeler be? And Scott Billick made a really good comment on, uh, on Kenny and Randy the other day saying that Ehlers plays his best and is most confident when he is the guy in line. When he's played with, you know, Shifley and Connor, he's more, you know, deferred to those guys. And you saw him go down um, on the goal, you know, great pass by Wheeler. I mean, what vision there after entering the zone and, and Ehlers sniping. He's had a couple you know, pretty nice goals, shots low on the ice. So I do wonder. I think that Ehlers Nemestikov pair works. Or do you put Connor Dubois back together? Shifley well, Niederreiter. That's the other. That, okay, okay. Let's just quickly touch on that mm-hmm. because Kyle Connor has been ice cold over the last little while, well, and I think in the last two seasons we've seen his greatest success paired up with Pierre Luc Dubois. I would think that going to a Dubois Connor pairing on one of those two lines has to be part of Rick Bonus's thought process going into next game. And could it end up being Shifley, Ehlers, and Nito Niederreiter uh, and maybe keeping Nemetsnikov there? Although that does break up Nemetsnikov and Ehlers, a combination which I think has looked awesome since they started playing together. Yeah, so let's say you go with the pairs, um, you know, Shifley, Niederreiter, uh, Connor Dubois, Ehlers, Nemesnikov, and you kind of pencil it in from there. I'm trying to think who else who else is going to go in. You put in... Baron up there. I mean, Barron's look pretty good. And maybe you put Lowry with, or sorry, a Wheeler with Appleton and Lowry. And I got to write. I'm the- not sure that Rick Bonus wants to touch that line right now. I mean, I, I guess you could possibly just have, if if you wanted to go with that and have Ehlers, it, it, have your top six of Shifley, Connor, Niederreiter, Ehlers. Dubois and Nemetsnikov. If Wheeler is the guy that's the odd man out, I guess there's the possibility that he just simply drops to the Lowry Baron line and Mason Appleton plays on the fourth line. Um, yeah. But I will say this I, I mean, considering what Bones has had to say and the way Appleton's looked in the last few games, I, I, as I said, I think there's an argument not to touch that line as well. Yeah, I think he might end up being the odd man out. I mean, if you want to keep that third line as a shutdown line and they really liked it against Tampa. I mean, you're probably going to like it against uh, Boston, too. So I'm trying to, like, write this out in my head here, which maybe I should have done a nice little exercise before. But, yeah, Connor Dubois. Who? You got Connor Dubois and Nieder. Well, and- if, if, if Connor and Dubois, I mean, I, then I think you're looking at either. I mean, you could pin. I, I think 55 is going to keep playing with Niederreiter. I, I think that is probably a safe bet. It- so then if it's Connor and Dubois, where's Ehlers? Where's Nemetsnikov? They're not on the same line. I think there's also the possibility that maybe, um, you know, if you do want to keep Ehlers and um, Nemetsnikov together, that maybe that line that got benched last night stays intact with uh, 81, 55, and 62. Um, and then essentially 80 comes in and then somebody's coming off that line between Ehlers, Nemetsnikov, and Wheeler. I mean, I think before Nemetsnikov came here early on, you would think that, well, obviously Nemetsnikov, he's a bottom six player. That's where he's going to go. Um, but man, he's just been so impactful. I mean, I'll tell you what, if I'm Rick Bonus right now and I'm looking at the, you know, what guys have been doing lately, I want more number seven on the ice because I think that he's been awesome defensively um, and he's really clicked with Ehlers so far. and We've seen that on the score sheet in multiple games. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're going to keep, like, do you keep Connor and Shafley together after the benching? I'm I'm not sure. And, and I agree that Connor Dubois have had success. Um, Shafley, Nemesnikov, or Shafley, sorry, Niederreiter, and Nemesnikov just on him. I mean, since he's been acquired here. 
with the Jets. He's got uh, five points in six games for who's supposed to be a depth guy. He's averaging almost 15 minutes of ice time a game. So he's been he's been pretty good. I think these are solid problems to have. And then you start getting to, well, what if Cole Perfetti, you know, comes back before the end of the season or in the playoffs, assuming they get there, where would he play? And I think we might end up seeing more balance of lines rather than stacking uh, the top six. But uh, I'm seeing a lot of combos in chat. Uh, Brass Balls Blake says, what if you move 55 to the wing centered by PLD? I mean, after giving, after playing, you know, six minutes and not generating a shot attempt and uh, not generating a shot attempt and allowing three goals against, maybe they do say, hey, you know what? We don't want you maybe take a rest from center. Tell you what, that would have been a pretty high-powered line. I mean, if you did have Connor, Dubois, and Shifley playing together on a line, and then Nemetsnikov, Ehlers, and Niederreiter on a line, um, and again, I guess there's still the possibility that you would have... I mean, Nemetsnikov has played center and has been playing center and can do that, um, so I guess that would give you the, that option. I'm just really interested to see how things look in the morning skate tomorrow and whether Rick Bonus does any significant tweaks to the line lines or um, just tries to bring Pierre-Luc Dubois in with his little touching. I know there's some people that have been talking about, you know, some pairs and trying to spread this out and with Adam Lowry on the fourth line. I just don't see that right now. I mean, I'm here for the arguments that, you know, that maybe come playoff time, if you can run four lines like that, and have the Dubois line or have the Lowry line as your shutdown and your fourth line playing more. I guess maybe that, you know, could be the case. But listen, the way that that line has played over the last few games, I don't think we're going to be seeing less of Lowry, Barron, and Appleton. In fact, I think we might be seeing more, especially against a team like the Boston Bruins. So um, I, I wouldn't think that that would be where Rick Bonus would go first. Um, but I'll say this, the versatility of Nemetsnikov playing both in the bottom six and the top six and playing at center while Dubois has been out, I think gives the coach a number of options that I'm not sure we thought were on the table before Pierre-Luc Dubois was injured. Yeah, I agree. And I'm looking at comments in chat. I see Stephen D writing, benching the top players won't lead to wins, but I mean, they were on for three goals against yesterday and didn't generate a shot attempt. So it seems like having your top players... Not play like your top players will also not lead to wins. They're in, I mean, they're in. A, they were in a tough spot yesterday, and it seemed to almost work. Almost pulled it off at the end. One thing we haven't touched on, Hus, we've been as we talk about the lines, the Jets starting a David Riddich here, and I thought, I don't think Hellebuck's going to play every game. He played the two. They got two out of you know they had already banked the points on the road. I thought this was a good time to get Riddich in for a game. Uh, you know, you look at the expected goals. I think he was was not great. I mean, I think no. he's been pretty good the whole season. But you know, I tweeted out a month ago on February fifteenth how good he had been, and then since then his numbers have taken a bit of a dip. But so have the entire team's numbers taken a dip. So I thought this was a, a nice spot for Riddich. You know, maybe he could have been a bit better. Minus one point seven seven goals saved above expected. I mean, funny if you look at the numbers. Anderson also in terms of goals saved above expected was also a negative. Minus 1.48, but I don't know. I thought this was a, a reddish spot, and, and I don't think it was his fault that they lost for people who are blaming Ridge. Could yeah, he have been be- listen, you know me. I've been a supporter of Big Save Dave. Dave needed to be a bit better last night. I mean, whether it was the second goal, whether it was the fourth goal, um, you know, you would have loved to have seen him make that. Well, the wraparound for sure. 
Um, and listen, the fourth goal, I mean, we've talked about the first three. That got Shifley, Connor, and Niederreiter benched. The fourth goal, I mean, is just so inexcusable on so many levels. I mean, the Jets have the puck. They are breaking out. There's almost no pressure on them. Brendan Dillon puts it up to Stenny, who could have easily cleared the zone and moved that puck forward. And sometimes the Jets just get too cute. He then passes it back in his own end to Neil Pionk. And I know some people said that it was a great pass. It just kind of bounced over his stick. Uh, the bottom line is I thought that it was totally unnecessary and created a possibility that could be very bad for the Winnipeg Jets. And unfortunately, that is exactly what happened. Neil Pionk wasn't able to get the puck. The Canes did come in on a four check. And the next thing you know, Jack Drury, who just got called up and is taking Paul Stastny's place in the lineup, scores the goal to make it 4-2. And the Jets didn't quit. They came back. Ehlers had that nice goal. But that was such a killer. And this is something that I've talked about and we've heard Rick Bonus talk about. Puck management, keeping it simple, doing the smart thing. I don't think that was the smart thing. I'm sure Pionk had a part of it. But the original decision by Stenny, who I'm a big fan of, to put it back into his own end in that case was the start of a completely unnecessary goal and a goal that probably cost them at least one point in the standings. Yeah, that was, I mean, it's like you're going for a lateral or something and a guy just fumbles it. And like, the other How do team... you get scored on your own breakout when there's no one there? <laughs> like, what? They're pa- passing it back, bounces over the stick, and next thing you know, uh, Drury's walking in all alone. And I think you kind of needed the save there um, from Riddick, you know, kind of squeezed through him. So it was disappointing. But, I mean, I can't, you can't put all the blame on him. I mean, these guys got to be able to complete a pass or not pass it back into your own end. And I did say last month on February 15th, since giving four goals to Vegas in the opener in 13 games, he was 9-3, 238 with a 914 save percentage. I mean, making min salary, and you look at it, I think since then his save percentage was under 900. I mean, on the season, he's still, I mean, in the season, he's still 9-7-1. and one. So his record you know, hasn't gone 902 save percentage, 265. No. Goals against. He's got better numbers than he had last year, that's for sure. But um, you know, the nine-seven record's definitely taking a hit here, as the entire Jets record has taken a hit in the yeah, last I, couple yeah, months. Yeah, you know what I mean. This is what we call the law of diminishing returns, um, and it's not a hypothesis; it's a law. And um, listen, David Riddich had uh, a real strong season for the most part. Right now, though, it's going to be Connor Hellebuck, and I think probably a lot of Connor Hellebuck until the Jets are officially booked for the NHL's postseason. I see I see Rob Mahoney saying the Sportsnet announcers can't tell 26 and 28 apart. I'll be honest, half the time, neither can I. I can, I, I, I'm not sure there's ever been two players that looked so, that looked so much alike. And this goes back to the first day of training camp, Reem. I mean, Wheeler and Stenland are basically both the same size. They have numbers that look almost identical. It is. Uh, <laughs> got the I, hair. I'm going to give the I'm going to give the the announcers a bit of a pass on that because even watching this game, uh, this team, every game, every period, every shift, I still find myself I'm watching the game on television saying, "Hey, was that Wheeler or Stenny?" Um, multiple times a game, so we will get a pass. But anyways, let's get into some of this audio from last night's game. Just before we do that, um, folks, whether it's for your car, your uh, truck or that toy you're working on for the upcoming spring and summer. 
you need a battery, Manitoba Battery is the place to go for the best price in town. Shop local and the most convenient service you'll get citywide. It really is this simple. Give them a phone call at 783-8787 around the noon hour or during the beginning of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And they'll deliver that battery to you anywhere in the city in two to four hours for a lower price than you'd get on that battery at a big box store. No more waiting in line at Costco or trying to get a parking spot or spending extra time at Canadian Tire, not to mention the gas to get there. Manitoba Battery will simplify your life and bring the battery to you. Um, And yes, I said, you won't be spending money on the big box stores. You'll be supporting local. It really is that easy. Donnie is great staff. Listen, you can always pop in and see them. 1026 Logan Avenue, always a treat being there. But if you're busy, as you probably are with other things, just give them a buzz or order online at manitobabattery.com and let Manitoba Battery get you a great deal and bring that battery to you. Um, Big shout out to our friends at Consolidated Supply. They are ready for the upcoming spring, already working with the golf industry around Manitoba on irrigation projects, artificial turf and of course they are the club car dealer exclusive club car dealer for the best in golf carts around the province but they do have so much more those irrigation and artificial turf projects can also be for you at your home and while you're at it check out their hot tubs and spas and amazing outdoor kitchen options and not for you fix it folks they also have a great selection the leaders in small engine parts and small engine repair find out more Pop by and see Spicy Joe and the gang in person at 1395 Niaqua Road East or check them out online at cte.ca. Still a couple weeks to get your nominations in for the March Unsung Hero. We'd uh, love to hear from you on that person that's making a big difference in your community, whether through volunteering, time working with charities, or being that person that is relied upon and does so much for other neighbors in need. All you got to do is send us an email to unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com. The Unsung Hero for the month will get an autographed jersey from Jets All-Star defenseman Josh Morrissey. Wallace and Wallace will make a $500 donation to the Dream Factory in the name of the Winnipeg Sports Talk listener who nominated the Unsung Hero. And better yet, Josh and Margot Morrissey are going to match that donation for an even G-note to a great charity that Josh is involved in in the Dream Factory. Again, get your nominations in now for the Community Unsung Hero at unsunghero at winnipegsportstalk.com. And hey, don't forget, folks, that we we are into spring. And with spring comes St. Patrick's Day. And if you're looking for uh, great non-alcoholic options, um, non-alcoholic craft beer, mixers, and more, our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market have it, along with the best prices on natural supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's best selection of local products as well. And don't forget, spring just around the corner, they also have ultimate male energy made specifically for men over 35 to increase testosterone production and help with all sorts of things to make give you the most out of your spring and of course summer and of course ultimate male energy is on sale right now at vita health fresh market one of seven winnipeg locations including the newest store in linden ridge pop down and see them you can also check out their fully shoppable website online at myvita.ca all right let's get to uh let's get to some of the audio last night because uh, i think you know 
Often you'll have a game like that and you'll hear a little bit from the coach and a player. But, you know, considering the prominent players that found themselves stable to the bench for a while, I think it was a very, very interesting post game. And let's start right off with Rick Bonus talking about sitting the top guys for as long as he did last night. Well, it's twofold. I mean, first of all, the other three lines were going really well and they were they were creating momentum. So you try to get them out there as much as you can to, get, to keep doing that. And some nights it's just not going your way. So, um, yeah, that's all it was. And the other, more of the other three lines were going, it wasn't going their way. So we needed them in the third. We played them in the third. All right, so there's Rick Bonus on uh, the benching of uh, the top line. And listen, he was very complimentary to the other three lines. Um, I'm sure he would have loved to have had his first line out there as well, but it was pretty clear that he was very frustrated with what was happening when those guys were on the ice because, frankly, it was a stark contrast to what the rest of his team was doing when they were getting the ice time last night. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it all so far this show, Huss. Um, They didn't generate a shot attempt and allowed three goals against and 12 shots. So I think he was kind of left with no option there and said, hey, you can take a seat for 12 minutes here and then... Well, um, we'll bring you out. We need you to score here in the third. We're not going to win without you guys, but you're not helping us right now. And that was the message he sent. And well, Nino certainly he told us we got the message. We're not sure. We'll have to wait till uh, tomorrow to hear from Shafley and Connor. Yeah, well, we'll see about that. Um, Mike McIntyre, um, who of course was there, he and Ken asking about the uh, the game and uh, this situation, asked Bones about you know using ice time. He's mentioned it before, but as a tool as a coach to um, you know to sit guys when things aren't going well. Here's how Bones reacted to that one. We saw John Cooper in Tampa sat his top line down for a period. I mean, is that a, a tool? Coaches probably don't like to do that with no, their no, top no. players. but No, but again, the other three lines were going so good. and great. Overall, listen, that, that's the best game we played on the road trip. It really is. Uh, we held a high vo- shot volume team to, what, 24, 25 shots on net. They didn't have 10 scoring chances tonight, so the team game was really, really good. Um, so we're really happy with that. Uh, did a couple of guys have a tough night? Yeah, well, that's going to happen. So, But you do. You move on and get ready for Boston Thursday night. Well, there's, uh, there's Rick Bonus with a couple more comments about um, the decisions made last night. Um, Nino Niederreiter was the guy that actually spoke after the game, and... <clears throat> No, you can make what you want out of this. I mean, um, Shifley and Kyle Connor, two of the most prominent high-paid players on the team, were asked to speak after the game and um, both declined or weren't out there. But it was the newcomer, their line mate, Nito Niederreiter, that spoke. We'll hear from him in a second. But Bones was asked about um, what it says about Niederreiter that he spoke and um, took that accountability post-game. So Nino's been great. And uh, he was good on the bench. You know, he wasn't playing much in the second there at the end, but he was really vocal on the bench. So uh, he's all in, and he's been a great addition. And uh, he fits in here, and, you know, clearly he can play with anybody. And uh, big goal for us in third. Yeah, to me, Remo, that was actually one of the most important things that Rick Bonus said all night. And I think it speaks volumes on a guy that we're just getting to know, but... You know, everywhere that he's been in his National Hockey League career leaves uh, a group of admirers, um, both within the club and within the fan base. Um, the fact that he was being benched on that top line and was vocal and was there supporting his teammates, 
I think says uh, a lot about the guy that the Winnipeg Jets got from the Nashville Predators. Yeah, and he came back, and when he got back in, he scored and helped the Jets almost come back. I mean, all the guys done since he come in is rack up points, seven and seven games, and we heard he's a great guy, and you know, he's going to bring elements to this team that they don't have, and he's delivered on everything and more, and that's why we've been sitting here saying, put the C on this guy's jersey, and we're going to play his comments coming up. It sounds like... Sounds like a pretty nice guy. You know what I like about Nino is as he seems to be really big into social media. Like right away, he changed his Facebook header on his profile. He's got a ton of followers to Jets. He's posting updates on his Instagram, you know, li- liking it here. Really, Jeez, like I'm embarrassed six- that I haven't followed him yet. You I will follow, definitely follow, follow Nino? him by the end of the show. I- He's got a good team, like putting out content. I don't know. He doesn't put out a lot, but he made sure when he got here to say, hey, I'm here. I'm having a great time. I should pull. He's got a ton of followers. I don't know. He must be like super big in in Switzerland, right? He scored the most goals of any uh, Swiss player. Well, no, absolutely. I mean, I think you make a great point. And the bottom line is what he's done on the ice and what he did last night facing the media afterwards, I think went a long way with fans. Let's here's just, we got one more from bones um, just before we get to Niederreiter. Um, a lot of questions about Josh Morrissey. He did skate in the morning, stayed on for a little extra time. And bones was asked, um, you know about Josh Morrissey, and if this was a playoff game, would if he would he been in last night? And obviously, does he project to be in the lineup tomorrow against the Bruins? So you know, has been great, and uh, he was good on the bench. You know, he wasn't playing much. Oh, that's, that's the last one. Yeah, that's the that's the. Did I not edit it properly? So you know, has been great. Four. Oh, I did not. I did not save it. Oh, okay, okay. Don't don't worry about that. He one. said, Anyways. "I'll I'll do my bones impression." Well, you know, Josh. It was a playoff game. He would have played in. We're going to see Thursday. Hopefully him and Dubois are back in. So I yeah, I saved the same clip uh, twice. Sorry. No no worries. No worries. But let's get to Nita Ryder because it was uh, it was Nino that was the guy kind of taking the heat or at least uh, talking after the game for a real disappointing night for the top line where they did get benched. And uh, Nino Niederreiter said it uh, wasn't good enough for, uh, for uh, their line last night. Obviously, it was uh, a really good game for most of our guys, and I mean, speaking for my line in particular, we didn't do our job tonight. We got to we got scored on, obviously, and uh, it wasn't good enough for us. You know, uh, there was a stretch there in the second, I think the last twelve plus minutes where you guys didn't play. Um, I guess what's the message and what's the takeaway from that move by Rick Bonus? I mean, we didn't deserve to play. We just simply weren't good enough. We weren't engaged. We weren't uh, doing the job we were supposed to do, and uh, we definitely deserved that. So it's. Uh, I mean, he definitely made that message pretty clear, and we got to be better. We got to show up, especially that time of the year. And uh, yeah, it was definitely unacceptable. But um, we definitely found that we stick with it. We found a way to keep being in the game. And obviously, fortunate enough, I was right there in the right spot at the right time to give us a chance to get back in the game. But uh, overall, like I said, it was definitely not good enough from our line. All right, so there's uh, Nino Niederreiter after the game. And I mean, that. <laughs> Listen, from a just from a fan perspective, I mean that is the sort of frank honesty and accountability. There's that word again that I think people appreciate so much. That to be honest has been lacking around here with some players for a long time. And I think it speaks volumes that it was Niederreiter that was there, um, you know, speaking to the media afterwards and telling it as exactly as it was. I mean, there wasn't a lot of disagreement with the coach's decision from number 62 last night. Um, And, of course, he did get back in the game and make an impact a little bit later on. Um, He he was asked by Mike as well if the players appreciate being held accountable the way they were last night. The players appreciate um, 
I guess, being held accountable. And does it send a message that it doesn't matter who you are if you know nobody's immune? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I mean, I think he definitely made the right choice. I mean, he uh, he played the guys who were going and uh, who were uh, good enough, and we simply weren't good enough tonight. And uh, yeah, we definitely have to bounce back against Boston, be be better, and go from there. Well, and there's the key, um, bouncing back against Boston. Um, and we kind of touched on this at the beginning of the show, how the lines may look with the return of Pierre-Luc Dubois. But regardless of who's playing with who, what sort of um, what sort of performance do we see from, in particular, Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor, who, as Remus mentioned, we haven't heard from yet and uh, we didn't hear from for long stretches of that game last night. One more from Niederreiter, who just talked about the road trip the team just finished two wins and one loss in the books. I think definitely, I mean, trip overall was definitely a good trip, but we could have made it a great trip tonight because they were definitely beatable. We had plenty of chances, especially in the second period of the Ehlers line. They were terrific tonight and got a lot of chances, so we had definitely a chance even tonight to win that hockey game, but overall I felt that we played some good hockey and played the way we should play. And uh, like I said, in my line, we definitely got to show up next game. All right, so there's uh, what Nito Niederreiter had to say after the game, showing uh, some real leadership for a guy that's been here for such a short period of time. Um, let's hear from Ehlers last night. Ehlers continued to be um, a problem for opposition and continues to play well, along with um, Nemetsnikov. Um, Ehlers uh, hit, the, hit on the game afterwards uh, to the assembled media. I mean, we obviously can't let that happen. I think we played a, a pretty good game today. Uh, we worked hard. Um, uh, chipped, chipped them out. Uh, you know, we... There were some things that we weren't happy with. Um, you know, we did turn over a lot of pucks. Um, but, yeah, obviously when you when you score a goal and you get within one, you don't want to let another one in right away. So um, we'll clean it up. All right, Nikolai Ehlers after the game last night. And um, obviously, Nikolai Ehlers was asked about the coach's decisions last night. Never an easy thing to talk about other guys being benched, but Ehlers gave it a try. Here's what he had to say about uh, the coaching decisions um, and seeing two prominent or three prominent teammates stapled to the bench for a considerable period of time last night. Um, you know, you always... We want to play well. We want to play well for the team. Um, you know, sometimes it's not working out, and and uh, you know, th- those guys have, have been extremely important for us um, in turning it around these these last couple of games. Um, so, you know, I'm not worried. I don't think coaches worried either. You know, they're they're guys that that we need. Obviously, we need everyone in in that room. So, shit happens. Kind of like though when Nate was sat a few games back, is that something that just gets the attention of everybody and kind of says, "Hey, nobody's immune," I guess. Um, I mean, I think you could see how how hard everyone was working out there. Um, you know, I think I think that was. I think we played really well. We worked we worked our asses off, and and sometimes you have nights where where you let in a few goals and and it's not going well. Um, you know, these guys have had a lot. Uh, lot better nights than than bad nights uh, for this team so uh, we're not worried. All right, so there's Nikolai Ehlers after the game last night. We're going to chop all this up with Murata Tesh coming up from the Athletic. Um, Steven Wino still to come a little later on and we will talk a little hoops before the end of the program with the uh, newest first member 
of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, Chad Posthumous. Just before we bring in Marat, big shout out to our friends at Royal Sports. I sort of joked yesterday that maybe we'd start seeing some 62s in the stands at Canada Life Centre. Um, feel a little stronger about that after the way Nino Niederreiter's performed and certainly what we heard from him just earlier today on Winnipeg Sports Talk. If you're looking for a new jersey in any of the Winnipeg Jet styles with your favorite name and number on it, favorite player's name and number on it, Royal Sports has you covered, along with thousands of pieces of Winnipeg Jets merchandise, including many exclusives, not to mention tons of bomber gear, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball with the Blue Jays around, Raptors getting ready for hopefully a bit of a postseason run. Whatever your team is, Royal Sports has it. While you're there, check out their big snowboard section just ahead of spring break. And, of course, the biggest and best hockey section in town. Don't forget to follow them on Instagram as well at Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and sale information. Um, Big shout-out to our friends over at F Apparel. And if you notice, Michael Remus today looking very good. Uh, Remo just popped in, picked up a suit. And uh, what do you get? Those That's one of the custom untucked shirts, yeah. Reem. Custom untucked shirt. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So I got to get a new wardrobe and need something, you know, when I leave the house and really comfortable and fits great too. So I was in and out very quick today at F uh, doing N- Nice look fitting. with the deep V, the deep V to T underneath the uh, mm-hmm. the unbuttoned shirt. Uh, it's, a, it's a great new look for Reem. If you want to improve your look, head on down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at $400. Um, a very simple process. Pop down, get measured up, pop in as Remo did today. Pick it up and you're good to go with a custom uh, fit, a made-to-fit order, uh, including chinos, golf pants, uh, tucked and untucked dress shirts, and more. Wedding parties, 15% off. Talk to them about that deal when you get your suits at F Apparel for the entire gang. If you've got a 2023 grad in the family, Hit them up and uh, get a new suit for the young man. F Apparel will hook them up with a free custom shirt and tie valued at around 150 bucks. And hey, big shout out to our friends at Boston Pete's. are going to be a busy few days down at BP Downtown for sure. Tonight, the big AEW wrestling event. I'm sure it'll be busy before and after. And of course, it is the place to hit up before and after Winnipeg Jets games. Enjoy those ice-cold schooners, delicious Boston's wings, gourmet pizzas, and so much more. And if you're not making the game on uh, on Thursday, or, of course, two big road games on the weekend, no better place to gather with fellow Jet fans than your local Boston pizza. And if you're not making it out, you can always order the great taste of BP online at bostonpizza.com. All right, lots to get to with Marat Atesh of The Athletic. We welcome in now. Marat, how are you? Hey, I am doing well. Happy to be here. How are things? Well, things are, I mean, things are pretty good. I mean, I have to admit, um, if you had told me, and I think I said this on the show, looking at these five games starting last week with the Minnesota Wild game, probably when we last spoke, if you could have told me the Jets could grind out five of these 10 points, would have taken it, no problem. Maybe it's a little different when you get five out of the first six and play the way they did last night. But I'll say they have done a pretty good job of at least solidifying their spot right now, even with a big Nashville win. I mean, before we get to last night in particular, your thoughts on the weekend overall and just the value in the standings and maybe mentally for the club and the fan base of those two wins on the weekend. Yeah, I head into the weekend with sort of three different thoughts on my mind. The first was that the Jets played well against Minnesota. And I know that, you know, sometimes they play well and lose and sometimes they play poorly and win and all that sort of stuff. 
But um, if you'll remember the post game of that Minnesota game, you know, I, I was the one asking Rick Bonus the questions and I focused on this idea of, hey, wasn't that a nice uptick in quality in the way that you played? That was my sincere belief. And, and I look back at that Minnesota game as a sign of good things to come. Um, so I had a little bit of optimism. Thought number two, Florida and Tampa, tough buildings to play in, a tough section of the schedule for the Winnipeg Jets. And sometimes playing well and losing for a team that's been struggling as much as the Jets, you know, maybe there wasn't, well, how would they respond to that? I guess was the, was the theory in my mind too. You know, was it going to be devastating to have finally done so many of the things right and lost, or could they build from that? And then the third thing go on my mind was I was writing about Connor Hellebuck at the time, and he and I had had this really, I think of it as the best conversation I've ever had with Connor Hellebuck. He went deep, he went personal, we talked about mental health when it came to his book, but we also talked about his process and how he thought about some of his struggles this year, the things that he does to bounce back when the time is is necessary. So my eyes were on Connor Hellebuck heading into that weekend. All of a sudden, back-to-back, he rattles off both wins, stops 77 of 83, I think. And definitely it was three expected goals that he saved above average, according to Evolving Hockey as well. I thought that was a huge part of Winnipeg's success, was he solidified things, Winnipeg grinded the rest of it all out. Yeah, well, Connor Hellebuck wasn't there to uh, bail him out last night, and it was David Riddich. And... Listen, I know that Remus kind of went through over the, the numbers. I mean, the goals saved uh, above expected or below expected last night, and which was the case. And listen, I think they could have probably, well, they could have definitely used another save either on the wraparound or even on that fourth goal. Um, but the bigger story coming out of last night, as much as sometimes people want to pin it on the goaltending, um, was what three lines did and what one line didn't. And Rick Bonus benching. Shifley, Connor, and Nito Niederreiter for more than half of the second period. Um, what did you think about the decision to do that last night, the way it went down? And what did you think about the fact that we ended up hearing from Niederreiter afterwards and the way he really owned it um, for his line? I think it's interrelated with goaltending as well. So I, I, I don't want to throw that all of the way out um, because it was after the third goal, the wraparound goal, that Shifley's line was on the ice for against Kenyemi's line. It was the third goal against that Shifley, Niederreiter, and Connor were on the ice for a uh, handy minus three on the night of five on five to that point. And that was the breaking point. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. That was, okay, this isn't good enough from this line for Rick Bonus to, to bench him. Then they m- missed 11.45 of the second period. I honestly thought that that wraparound had more to do with David Riddick than Mark Shifley, who was right in on, you. Know, he had inside position on Kutkaniemi. Sure, maybe you don't want that shot to get off at all, but if it does, you expect the goaltender to save that. But I thought that the game's opening goal was the story of how that line was not playing the right way. And that was the, you know, I, it's been talked to death online and social media and all of that, but Brendan Dillon, you know, he's got the puck in his own zone. He's sizing up a breakout pass. Cut Kanyemi's all over him, so he gets a piece of the puck. What happens next? Well, that puck gets picked up by Jacob, Jacob Slavin at the at the blue line. If Kyle Connor hasn't fled the zone at that point, he picks up the remnants of Dylan's pass attempt. Everything is fine. If Mark Shifley and Nito Niederreiter, Niederreiter was on the other side of the ice, Shifley's the center. If they hadn't fled the zone as well, maybe somebody's able to play a better job of help defense. And a lot of the other stuff that happens in hockey is chaos. It's, you know, instantaneous things and all that sort of stuff. To me, that just read like a bad decision from guys that you need to be able to count on. 
Um, and Connor's not really having a terrific stretch right now. He usually outscores problems and mistakes like that. That was a particularly glaring play because he's not outscoring that stuff. And I think that that's part of what went into it. Yes, you benched the line, but that was probably the key mistake. Um, and I think that it was bonus saying, you know, hey, this is the stretch run. There's a certain degree of accountability that even the elite players, no questions, no qualms with those players overall, to be sure. But they need to hold a better standard than they had through the first half of that game, especially, in my opinion, in that first goal. Um, but the Niederreiter speaking, uh, I I love it. I saw, you know, I, I saw Mike tweet that, you know, he and, and Kenny had asked for Shifley and, and Connor, I think, if that's correct. And yeah. um, and then then after those were declined, Niederreiter was said yes to. That's That's what I saw on Twitter. And you know what? I love the way Nino Niederreiter talks about struggling. I in the, in the loss last week when he scored, he's like, you know what? At the end of the day, that's not good enough. I don't care I scored. We didn't win. That's disappointing. And for him to be able to say, we didn't play well enough. And it's not like he's saying it with like this seething intensity at the question. He can acknowledge it. It's not the end of the world. He's got the emotional sort of capacity to, to just stand there and have the conversation after what must have been a disappointing game. You know, I like the way he talks about hockey. So credit to him. I'm, you know, the other guys for all I, I mean, it's Mark Shifley's birthday today. I don't know the inside story of what he was up to at that moment. The reasons he said no, all of that stuff. Maybe he didn't want to talk and maybe he was too emotional and maybe you want to criticize that. But I, I, I look to Nino Niederreiter and say, well, hey, that's the way that I'd want a loss to be talked about. It's just strange that when you have two of the longest serving members of the club, along with a guy that's been here for two weeks, they as a group get benched. The guy that's basically the spokesperson that comes in and handles things as well as we've maybe seen any player do in a long time is the guy that was on the Predators two weeks ago. <laughs> Not a guy that's been here for better part of eight years and another guy that's been here for six or seven. I mean, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe because of the optics of that, you know, I hear myself say, well, hey, let's just focus on Niederreiter. That does stand out. Let's. Let's back off of my, you know, let's just focus on the Full good. Full credit to Niederreiter, and I'm fully in sure. agreement with you. little surprise that considering the way things happen, especially for Shifley. I mean, Connor did speak a couple days ago and, you know, didn't have many answers, and he is struggling right now. But, I mean, Mark Shifley's, I mean, he's wearing an A. He's part of that leadership group. He's not a guy that's done a ton of media. It's not like he's rolled out every single game. Um it, it, it is glaring for, for, for a team that's looking for guys to kind of step up. Nino Niederreiter's been the guy that's doing it. He's done it on the ice, and he did it last night in a time and maybe took a few bullets for a couple of his teammates that I think in most markets, most people would expect that that's probably the guy you're hearing from, not the guy that's been here for two weeks, that has been one of the most productive players on the club since he arrived. I think it might speak to just a difference in how people approach negative moments, right? Like Nino Niederreiter True. was willing to name, we didn't play well. And I think that's been hard sometimes for Mark Shifley or Kyle Connor to come out and say about their own games at various times. Shifley, especially, you might point to because he has the letter on his jersey and he is a leader amongst the group. You know, he's a guy that welcomes some of the younger players in. Um, you know, he's got a good relationship with youth like Cole Perfetti, all that sort of stuff. There's been nice things to say, but in these emotional moments, you know, you you haven't been able to count on him to to pick things apart as three dimensionally without feeling that fire and that competitiveness. And it gets a little bit tight and it's just uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so 
I mean, I think maybe that's a dis a difference in disposition between those players, and you know, maybe that is an area that Shifley can be criticized, and you know, especially with the letter on his jersey, to to be sure, um, or or maybe he had something else to to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's without having been there in the room, without knowing, without having spoken to him, without him having spoken to anybody, Connor as well. I'm sort of holding that part of me that's that wants to say yes, that's ridiculous. Because I just have that's patience. fair, you know it, it, it's fair. Um, and as I said, I think the takeaways it's less about who didn't show up in front of the microphone was about the guy that did and what he said. Not to mention how he handled the benching in the third period, going out there and you know continuing to you know deliver for the Winnipeg Jets and scoring a big goal, albeit coming from uh, from Morgan Barron, which brings us to. Tomorrow. And and I guess one of the things that I didn't bring up with you, but Remus and I talked about, maybe I'll ask you this right off the bat. I mean, Nikolai Ehlers, and by the way, just on Shifley, I will say this. Yeah, it wasn't good last night, and obviously we saw what the coach thought of it. I thought he really raised his level of play over the course of the two games on the weekend. And to be honest, that's what made last night, particularly for that line, frankly, more disappointing is because, Marat, in those games on the weekend, I don't know about you. I mean, listen, there were some giveaways. There were some breakdowns. I mean, these games weren't perfect. But we've been waiting to see Mark Shifley come and, and match some of the, the way other teams and other top players have raised their level of play with the energy, the intensity. And I really thought that was there a lot more than we'd seen it over the past month on the weekend in both of those games, and obviously a huge game for him, including the OT winner um, against the Panthers, and I thought really was up to the challenge of the Tampa Bay Lightning on Sunday as well. I agree with that, and I'm a little bit hesitant to, to try to throw Mark Shifley under the bus right now because I think his last couple of weeks have been progressive upticks, yeah. and then you look at that Florida game in particular. My goodness, I mean, not just the goals, the game winner as well, but... You know, third period gets down low, out muscles Sam Bennett, who's, you know, just done so much for the Florida Panthers this year as well. There were so many examples of moments where he was, you know, below his man on the safe side of the puck doing the right things. I think he was on a mission a little bit against Florida, against Tampa Bay as well. I mean, Tampa Bay's been a measuring stick for me and Mark Scheife a lot of a lot of times. I remember one of the articles I wrote three or four years ago at this point already about Scheifele's defensive, you know, issues was a game where he went head to head with Anthony Sorelli, a young guy at the time, but a really good two way player. And Sorelli sort of, you know, ate his lunch that night. And um, I don't think you saw that against Tampa Bay this weekend. I think that Shifley is playing a, a relatively good version of hockey. And that's where goaltending kind of comes back into it and feel, because I think he had, a, like, he was on Kot Kanyemi during that goal that saw them benched or what have you. If you get that save and get out of it, maybe you don't necessarily end up with that, that benching as much as you can criticize other elements of that line's play. Yeah, well, I mean, the bottom line is no shot attempts for 12 against, three goals against, and all the other lines were going, as Rick Bonus said. I mean, I don't think anyone really had an issue with the line distribution in the second period, considering the way things were going. Um, but then it gets to the Ehlers, and I mean, I don't know about you. Um, listen, we knew that the loss of Pierre-Luc Dubois was going to be massive going in. Much like the Jets have done at earlier times, it seems when they're up against the uh, adversity the most, they rise up. We've seen some of the best of Ehlers in the past while, in this past week, playing with Nemetsnikov and Wheeler. Um, and Nemetsnikov, to me, has been, I mean, even more than we could have imagined, especially moving up into the center position. 
and really this goes back to last Saturday, even before, he's made a big, I think he's been a big boost to, first it was Lowry and Barron, and look what they've done since they were playing with him. He's now moved up. Ehlers is seen, um, which brings us to the conundrum or opportunities for Rick Bonus as to what he does with Pierre-Luc Dubois expected to be back in the lineup as well as what happened with the top line. And we have to mention Kyle Connor and all this. He's been in a funk, certainly for him. He's still the leading scorer on the team, but the goals aren't coming. What do you think the chances are when they get together and we see the Boston Bruins tomorrow that both of the top lines look a little different and maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois and Kyle Connor back together where KFC's had his most success this and last season? You know, I could see it. I, I could definitely see it. I think that Winnipeg runs a clear top six and then checking line and then fourth line. I think Rick Bonus is clear with those roles. And I think that Niederreiter's addition and, and Nemesnikov as well, I agree with you. He's been great no matter who you put him with. You know, that really cements that group of, of top six players and bumps some guys down, which helps the top nine as well. Nemesnikov seems to be able to speak Ehlers' chaos mode but also speaks straight line ahead hockey as well. He seems to be able to translate between both ways of playing the game, and he seems to be able to play with anybody. Bonus talked about his versatility, and that's what you get from him. You know what I'd like to see, Huss, is that there have been nights where, you know, Adam Lowry's line is pure defense, no offense. And, like, could we start talking about a top nine and a, and a fourth line cemented around uh, uh, Adam Lowry? Maybe a little bit more even minutes distribution. Could Nemesnikov and Wheeler make you know, parts of a parts of a third line, let's say, in some future universe where um where uh say Cole Perfetti returns in time for the playoffs and all those other sorts of things. I'm not sure. Uh, I think what you're gonna see is that top six of exactly the top six guys that you would expect with Dubois coming back well, in the line. I, I mean as far as on that, if you had asked me that question three weeks ago when Lowry was struggling, when Barron hadn't scored in forever, I would have said, Yeah, okay. But, I mean, the way things have been going, really, since the Edmonton game that Saturday, I, I mean, if anything, I think we're going to see more Adam Lowry with Morgan Barron and Mason Appleton. And I guess, I mean, I know there's arguments to be made to kind of spread things out a little bit more. I'm sort of of the opinion that that'll happen if that third line maybe is struggling the way they were earlier this year. But I don't see that right now. And I certainly think that the way Rick Bonus is relying on those guys in some of those very, very difficult matchups. Call them the fourth line if you want. If they're going out against the top line on the other club, when you look at the way the ice time runs finishes up at the end of the game, they're easily going to be in the top three and could potentially even be pushing one of the top six lines if that's the way things are being matched up. But as far as the top six goes, I mean, there's obviously the potential of reuniting Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois the other part of me is, I mean, Nemetsnikov was the guy that moved up when Dubois was out, but he's looked so good with Ehlers. How tempting do you think it is for Rick Bonus to keep Nemetsnikov with Ehlers in that top six? And what that could mean is Blake Wheeler actually being the odd man out, the seventh of six players. And I do wonder whether he would automatically go to the Lowry line or whether Blake Wheeler might be a guy that finds himself playing with Kevin Stenland um, on the lookalike line, on the fourth line, um, because you've got Appleton playing his best hockey as of late, Lowry along with Barron, and the matchups and the importance of that line that Rick Bonus seems to rely on. I mean, I appreciate uh, how 
you know, I, I mentioned the possibility of Lowry on the fourth line, and you're like, Murat, that's not realistic. That's not happening. He's a matchup center. Bonus uses him that way. That's not going to happen. I don't think Blake Wheeler on the fourth line is going to happen. I, I, I just don't think that that's an optic situation that the Jets want to approach. I have, you know, I have value in Mason Appleton to a certain degree. I think Barron's been the most exciting member of that third line. Adam Lowry, you, you can usually count on him for certain things as well. So I could see if you're bumping somebody out of that group, Blake Wheeler could sometimes be that guy. If you look at um, if you look at bonuses bench management, even over the weekend, Mesnikov came out of the top six for a few shifts every now and again. You've seen him do it with Ehlers as well. So it may not be a set it and forget it situation so much as bonus pulls those guys down. If he does... I can't see Bo- I can't see Wheeler, pardon me, below that third line threshold, even with Appleton's success. Um, I just I just can't see them rolling it that way uh, with his with his stature. And I do want to say a nice word again about Morgan Barron as well. I think in this last stretch, one of the things that has changed the the course of the bottom six is that Barron has stepped into himself. He's really come into his own. Um, that play that he made to first win the puck in the neutral zone, hold on to the puck against two checkers, then feed it across for the goal to get Winnipeg back in it last night. I thought that was a really excellent play and a guy who can help not just on the defensive side of the puck, but in both in both directions too. Yeah, and I mean, listen, I mean, I'm not sitting here saying, oh, watch this, Blake Wheeler's a fourth-line player now for the Winnipeg Jets. I guess part of it is just that Nemetsnikov has been very, very impactful has really connected with Ehlers well. And one of the biggest questions we've been saying is how can they find a good fit for Nikolai Ehlers? And I think his play over the last few games has spoken for itself. And I'm not sure that they want to tinker with that too much. I guess good problem to have when you've been playing the way you are and you've got a Pierre-Luc Dubois coming back. But it does mean that you're either going to be moving to Metznikov down. And he did start with Lowry and Barron on the third line. And maybe that just moves um, uh, moves Appleton down to the fourth line. Um, but I do think that there's room for consideration of keeping the Metznikov there. And then maybe it is Blake that moves down. And I mean, listen, what would you think? How does Blake Wheeler fit with Morgan Barron and Adam Lowry? Honestly, I think he fits pretty well. Yeah. Um, I, I think that like his speed has come out of his game. That explosiveness has come out of his game. Uh, he, he can still protect the puck really well in the offensive zone if you just want to keep it a little bit safe. No, Lowry and Barron aren't going to finish some of the passes he makes like Ehlers did on that rush yesterday, not with that sort of consistency. And yes, I think that there's a little bit of a defensive. He's not the defensive player he was a few years ago, but I think Wheeler can be trusted to make the right decisions in, in a lot of those situations. And if there is a two-way element asked for those guys, I think that he can play in that sort of capacity. I want to, I want to, I mean, if you want to go off of that by all means, but I also want to fire a question back in terms of Ehlers' resurgence. How much do you think is just him getting sick to death of the narrative? I mean, last week, early last week, all the questions and, you know, were about Ehlers' struggles and all of the articles were about Ehlers' struggles and bonuses talking about Ehlers' struggles. How much of it do you think is him just realizing like, wait a second, you know what? I'm playing well, but there's another level to, to, to my game. And over the course of that weekend, I mean, you watched his game get more direct. And there was a lot less of that, you know, indecisive pass off. And I know there's a play to Nemestikov last night where he admits he should have shot. But I think Ehlers' style of play has changed, uh, you know, in a, as much oh. as his nightmates have. Oh, oh for sure. No, I, I think you're, you're, you're nailing it here. I mean, he has looked more aggressive when it comes to shooting the puck, taking the puck to the net, not being on the perimeter. 
Um, and all of those things have worked out very well for the Jets. Uh, just that's coincided with playing with Nemetsnikov. And even we saw that one goal, the big one on the weekend, where big face-off win, Ehlers got the puck, shot it almost immediately, and Nemetsnikov there to put in the rebound. I mean, all of those things are sort of working in unison, and they hadn't been before. They'd had such a hard time finding line mates to get him into a groove with. Um, I, I do think that they will consider maybe keeping that together, although it could be as easy as plopping Dubois in in Nemetsnikov's spot and then finding Nemetsnikov a, a regular uh, spot on whether it be the third line or potentially even the fourth line, which sounds a little crazy considering how valuable he's been the last little bit. Um, but I think you're basically talking about 10 players with one guy on that fourth line and then figuring out who of Gus, Steny, and Saku Menelainen are going to be in on a given night right now. Yeah, I think that the sort of like pecking order of quality is is close to set. Just like you say, 10 guys for nine spots. And, you know, for me, um, you know, I, I don't know who you want to call your seventh guy for six, but if it's Wheeler, like you suggested, or Domestikov at certain times, at least there's a clear seven guys for those six spots too. For me, Barron's the next guy up. And then Adam Lowry... Probably by playoff time, you get peak Adam Lowry again. I, I tend to have faith in his ability to maintain stretches like this or his hot stretch to start the year as opposed to a slide kind of in the middle where nothing was going in or he wasn't really creating. I tend to believe that he'll come around for that. But I think that there's a there's a situation where Winnipeg has, you know, the appropriate number of top six forwards, the appropriate number of top nine forwards, thanks to those trades that Kevin Dayoff made, thanks to mostly good health. You wonder about Perfetti's ability to return to make an impact in the playoffs. They actually have good problems to sort out and a reasonable sense of how to approach that. Um, I wonder what they do on defense where Neil Pionk is looking kind of like... I was just going to bring that up and ask you about what you thought about Kyle Capobianco, who's now got into a couple games. And listen, every time the guy plays, and sometimes there's a month in between games even more... He seems to acquit himself well. I mean, a lot of the chaos that we've talked about, particularly with Neil Pionk, honestly hasn't been there very much. And maybe we can say he's playing sheltered minutes. He's playing on a third pairing. I mean, that may be the case. All I know is that um, he's acquitted himself quite well, has scored, almost scored again last night, and certainly hasn't looked out of place. And in my opinion, should be at least a legitimate option for Rick Bonus, where it doesn't seem like he has been for the majority of this season. Yeah, it's interesting the way that almost every other player gets rotated in, rotated out, rotate like including in situations where, you know, they're not cementing themselves as a regular. And, you know, I might say Logan Stanley in that situation. I know there's the the reported trade request. Kevin Shalodayov definitely didn't deny it. It seems to be unhappy with minutes and, and all of that sort of stuff. I don't know that Logan Stanley has stepped in and been a you can't pull me out of the lineup sort of player, um, but he gets rotated in and out. Capobianco doesn't. He sort of gets his spots and picks his spots, or bonus picks his spots, or Arneel picks his spots to call to bring him in. And he's acquitted himself well. I agree with that. And there's a sense that maybe the default pecking order, where you look at the veteran group of five, led by Josh Morrissey, who is the clear-cut number one, and then you look at that combination of Dylan and Pionk, who've played a lot together, DeMello, who often plays in the top four, and Nate Schmidt, and you say, okay, those are your five guys. Those are untouchable. Rotate the other guys. Well, Capo Bianco has come in and played games. You know, last night he probably had a more positive impact than Neil Pionk did, for example, that make you ask that question. Dylan Sandberg consistently has games that ask you that make you wonder, hey, has he 
um, surpassed one of the veterans. And he certainly, in my mind, has surpassed Stanley and Capobianco, who both continue to play well. I, I say Stanley isn't a surefire number six, but he hasn't been, um, I guess, but he, he can still find ways to contribute. And I think that's one of Winnipeg's most difficult problems to solve right now. And you look at, you look at minutes, quality, you mentioned that. The difference between top four and that third pairing is big. That's substantial. The, you're able to control that a little bit more. Coaching staffs usually are. So that's why you look at a game like last night with Dylan and Pionk and you think, okay, against Carolina, these guys might be tough, in tough to break it out really cleanly. You look at the goal against Dylan's pass gets knocked down. And you also see Neil Pionk, according to Garrett Holes tracking on track, you know, seven giveaways in the defensive zone in the first period, I think it was, which is far too many. And it may and that'll be. drive Rick Bonus crazy. I mean, he's talked about it. Puck management, we always hear it. He doesn't single out players, but I mean, if you're watching the games, it's pretty clear to know who has a big role in many of those. And it is Neil Pionk, and it has been for a good portion of this season. Yeah. And so there's a question of like, why don't his minutes come down? And there's a theory, and it may have been supported by that goal against where Stemlin fires just a grenade at Pionk and the puck bounces off the wall. Oh. And he looks so slow to get back into that play. There are times when, you know, you watch from press box where everything's so easy and I get to just say all of these things, right? Yeah. But like, where it looks like he, there's something affecting Neil Pionk's mobility. Sometimes it looks that way to me. And it has for most of the season. I think of him from his first couple seasons with the Jets as agile laterally, as agile moving backwards. And I don't think of him that way right now. I really don't. I don't know if it's just a down year, an injury. Maybe he achieved a peak for a couple of years and has come off it. But as those mistakes continue to happen, the analytics don't look good, certainly, because those giveaways add up and chances against add up. Um, you don't see him come out or minutes change. And sometimes I wonder if that's the coaching staff deferring to his veteran disposition. He's a really even-keeled guy, a really personable guy maybe it's maybe it's um deferring to this thought that hey he's grinding through something battling through an injury and we respect that or maybe it's just a, a belief that he's playing at a higher level necessarily than he is but i don't think he's matched the level of brendan dylan or, or dylan demello josh morrissey and he hasn't stepped out of that top four a lot of the time either. And and, and that's a question for the jets well I, I mean never mind that i mean when morrissey was out on sunday night Neil Pionk played 24 minutes. I mean, 23-49, I think, was the number and led the team in ice time and I think had some good moments. But, I mean, I go back to, you know, scratching Nate Schmidt for that game and sort of saying Nate's a healthy scratch and throwing him out there and making it pretty clear that this was a coach's decision. Um, in a way, I thought that was maybe a message to the rest of the veterans that if this can happen to Nate, to Nate, it can happen to anyone. I think he's rebounded quite well and responded to that, as you would hope. Um, so I don't rule something like that out. But I mean, I'm not sure we're going from, you know, being the guy that plays 24 minutes when Morrissey's out to being out of the lineup. But uh, I, I think it speaks for itself with some of the issues the Jets have been having and Neil Pionk in particular that that has to be crossing the mind of the head coach and figuring out how they're going to uh, they're going to handle that. Murata Tesh of The Athletic is with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. A couple of really cool articles in The Athletic this week by you that I wanted to talk about. First of all, one from a couple days ago. Um, 
build people in and we don't have to get entirely into it. But I mean, we've talked a lot about Niederreiter and we've talked a lot about Nemetsnikov and you had a really interesting read. Um, what if Kevin Sheveldayoff was white, right? And in brackets, and I was wrong about the Jets post deadline situation. Um, fill us a little in on uh, how that one came together and uh, sort of what you were thinking. Well, first off, full credit to Israel Fair, my editor for the headline on that one. Um, it hurts the ego to have a headline like that, especially the story isn't an I was wrong and here's all the reasons why I was a I was a big dumb idiot on trade deadline day. It's not me recanting on on the what I thought thought was level criticism, both positively and negatively. But it does take some new information, roster sizes, cap situations. I dig into the bonus structure. Um, I comment on the quality of Niederreiter and Nemestikov, which Originally, I also predicted, like, I, I think that we all believe that those were quality players who would step into the roles that were asked of them. Um, but sometimes it's okay to keep thinking about something after the thing has gone to print, right? Like, no tweet, no no sentence I tell you now, no story I write will ever be the complete, unchanging, declarative story of the entire situation. So when it came to the trade deadline, well, I thought, hey, we should think more out loud about this, like from Shovel Dayoff's point of view, from a slightly more pro Winnipeg point of view. What if it's not a failure just to have left the cap space unspent? What if some of the criticisms that I lobbied the day of, let's look at them from a different angle. And I think we expanded on that. If you read it and you think I was right the first time, I don't mind that at all. <laughs> I, know, I really, really did enjoy it. And I guess a big part of it has been, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that expected, that wanted more um, as far as moves. I kind of thought it wouldn't be a massive player, but maybe an extra player for the bottom six. But the bottom line is that these two acquisitions, especially considering what the cost was to get them, have been two of the most impactful trades made at the deadline anywhere in the league. I mean, you look at the, you know, the game score, you know, that's Domus Chishin's model and all that sort of stuff. The analytics of of who's led the team in quality per game since the trade deadline. It's Niederreiter and Nemesnikov. It's not Josh Morrissey. It's not Kyle Connor, Mark Shifley. It's the two new guys acquired for a second round pick. And you still have Niederreiter next year at just four million and a fourth round pick for, for Nemesnikov. And, you know, I don't expect Nemesnikov to rattle off a point per game. But, and Niederreiter sometimes does go cold if you look at his history. But they have been exactly as advertised, perfect fits, playing through traffic. And I think that's what, if you could look at the roster before the deadline, and we did, we did that, say, who would you ideally add? It would be guys who play the way that they do. Well, and uh, and I'll tell you the other thing. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet that Nemetsnikov doesn't keep on being as impactful if he stays playing with Nikolai Ehlers, considering the way those guys have looked together, which gets us back to something we've already covered on this program. Um, The other bit, and we'll tell people to head on over to The Athletic and see the entire read, comments on last night's game, but it also talks about what is to come. And we've spent a lot of time talking about this five-game stretch, starting with the Wild last week, the back-to-back games in Florida, finishing off the road trip in Carolina, and then taking on the Boston Bruins, um, a, a, an imposing lineup of teams like maybe no other time during the season. It does change a little bit after that. And, Murat, you sort of dug in what is to come. I know many many of us have spent a lot of time comparing schedules, and you sort of put it all in together. What does it say about what's to come for the Winnipeg Jets as they look to clinch a spot in the playoff dance? 
Yeah, I mean, one thing that's nice about writing at The Athletic is that we have a team of nerds to look all up all of that sort of stuff, and Dom Luchician being one of them. Um, and so we were able to sort of put together, you know, math-wise, how hard is the Jets' schedule? And you could look beyond, okay, they've got 14 games, seven on the road, seven at home, and actually look at the projected points at the end of the season for all the teams that they play and compare that to the rest of the league. You know, Calgary has a slightly easier schedule than the Jets, but both of them have pretty good schedule uh, coming up in terms of how relatively easy, nothing's easy in the NHL, but how easy they are compared to other teams. Nashville, meanwhile, towards the most difficult in the league, I think it's the second most difficult schedule. All of that's laid out in the piece. Um, but it also, in addition, all of that gets into the human element of this. And the, this is a time of year where some of those cliches ring true. You know, you need your best players to be your best players. Kyle Connor can't spring the zone on a play like that. You know you, you know he'll score again. I, I have no worries about the quality of him overall, but those are decisions you can't make. You need Connor Hellebuck to look like weekend Connor Hellebuck and not the last two weeks necessarily, um, and they're working at that. And so we get into this balance of the personal stories, the cliches that are true, the numbers and all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, Winnipeg still, to use a cliche, in control of its destiny – no little, no small fact to the fact that they played Nashville twice and Calgary once down the stretch. Well, I'll tell you what the uh, uh, Nashville looks imposing, and then you remember that they've got three extra games. So, I mean, that is uh, we're going to actually end up. Well, we'll see, and we'll talk more about the Nashville Predators going into that big afternoon game on Saturday at the Bridgestone Arena. But in the meantime, we get ready for. The Boston Bruins tomorrow night. I can't wait for this game. I've been looking for it for a long time to see how the Jets can measure up against the class of the NHL. And I think it got a little more interesting with uh, the way Bones handled his team and his top line last night and what we get out of them. Marat, I know you'll be all over it in the Athletic. Thanks so much for doing this. It's always great to have you on the show. Right on, Huss. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good stuff. There's Murata Atesh. We're going to talk some more puck with Stephen Wino, the AP, coming up in just a minute. Before we do that, a big thanks to our friends at Princess Auto for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Princess Auto is where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. You should pop by one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road or Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, when you're talking water and water services in Winnipeg, it's the same family-owned Culligan folks that have been taking care of Manitobans for over 65 years. And they've got everything you need when it comes to water products and services. With softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems and drinking water systems, and citywide water delivery services, not to mention commercial and industrial water products and solutions. You can pop down and see them at 1200 Sergeant Avenue or give them a call at 694-5180. And if you do want to check into more on what Culligan can do for you and your family, check out their website online at drinkculligan.com. And a big cheers to our friends over at Canadian Club. Don't forget the CC and Ginger is now available in single 473 milliliter cans at both your local Manitoba liquor marts and beer vendors. If it's not at your local spot, ask them about it and tell them to get it. Don't forget next weekend, March 24th to the 26th, the flash sale on the CC Canadian 12 years, a 12 year reserve. 
That's going to be on sale for just 24 bucks, regularly 31 three days only at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. And uh, starting on Saturday, don't forget the Canadian Club Chronicles. 41-year-old is back, less than 100 bottles. If you're missing it from your collection, make sure to get out to Manitoba Liquor Marts on Saturday for the limited re-release after they found a couple extra cases in the uh, in the distillery. All right. We will talk to Chad Posthumus, the first member of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, in a few minutes. Right now, though, let's welcome in for a little more hockey talk our pal Stephen Wino from the Associated Press. The author of Odd Man In, the great read on the e-bugs, the hockey's emergency goalies, and of course, AP writer. What's going on, Wino? How are you? I'm great, Hustler. How are you doing? Well, pretty well. Um, tough loss for the Jets last night. They actually played quite well overall against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. But uh, honestly, it might have been a stretch to expect this team after the way they'd been playing going into the road trip to come out 3-0. and But uh, two huge wins on the weekend for Winnipeg against Florida and Tampa. Sort of, uh, I think, steadied things a little bit because it hadn't been a great run for the Winnipeg Jets. But we're now, of course, getting into crunch time to uh, secure this playoff spot and make sure you're part of the postseason dance. Yeah, and there's so much talk of, of are the Flames going to catch the Jets? Are the Predators going to catch the Jets? And, like, just to win a few games, it puts the strings and points together to kind of quiet that conversation for now. That's a good thing for, for folks in your parts. Well, no doubt. And, I mean, you knew that going up against, I mean, this weekend was coming out of the weekend in Florida was Carolina on the road and then the Boston Bruins tomorrow night. And um, the Bruins, I, I, I mean, you, I know you've been following them out on the East Coast. I mean, this team has been doing things historically well although ironically no one saw them losing to the Chicago Blackhawks last night uh, I'm interested to see what sort of a Bruins team and what sort of mood that team is in when they get to the peg tomorrow night yeah the Bruins have lost three of four now and and, and have fallen just off the pace of, of breaking the Canadians record for most points in a season but yeah I mean they, they've been phenomenal all year I mean everything from new coach Jim Montgomery uh, who after kind of going into rehab and kind of getting his life together has come back with the second chance and been terrific Linus Allmark in goal who might have the highest save percentage and lowest goals against average of any goalie since Marty Brodeur in the 90s David Pasternak's lighting the league on fire Bergeron is is a Selkie winner again, like no doubt about it. And and David Krejci back from the Czech Republic ha- has been excellent. And and I, I think uh, my, our colleague Chris Johnson put it best. They've won everything, including the trade deadline. They bring in guys like Garnet Hathaway and Dimitri Orlov and Tyler Bertuzzi and, and certainly kind of Bruins style players to fit the mix that it's almost good, I think, for the Bruins to go through a rut like this now because I've been talking to members of the 18-19 Lightning team that tied that Red Wings record for most wins and then got swept by Columbus in the first round, as we all remember, and they didn't have that adversity at all during the season. So I think the Bruins have it now. But, yeah, it, maybe this is a rut that lasts in through the Jets game or maybe this is something that the Bruins needed that slap in the face to kind of wake up. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting seeing the, the Bruins tomorrow night because, of course, the Jets took on Carolina last night. And, you know... I, as far as I'm concerned, that was almost an unprecedented arms race of those teams in the East when it came to the deadline. Everyone except Carolina. Now, Carolina did bring on Jesse Pugliarvi and uh, Gosses Bear at relatively reasonable rates. Um, but I would imagine there might be a little bit of regret that they didn't go a little harder on another addition, considering the horrible news yesterday about Andrei Svechnikov. I mean, they've been great this year. They've handled the Boston Bruins this year. But what does this do for Carolina's playoff hopes when you look around the East knowing that they've just lost arguably their most lethal goal scorer? 
Well, it crushes them, and 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 not and already there was a question mark to me in goal of, of Freddie Anderson, Antti Ranta, uh, Kachekov, uh, whoever's going to be the goalie there of. Is this team a playoff contender with that kind of goaltending? But you lose the Sveshnikov for the season, and Don Waddell was very conservative at the trade deadline. And you can either second guess it or even first guess it, as, as, as many folks I've talked to have, of you just go out and get Polly RV and Gossis Bear. Klingberg was on the board, possible. JVR, obviously, James Ernie never got traded at all. There were, not that you could protect against losing one of your best players to a season-ending knee injury, but he, there were other moves out there to be made for rental players that could have given the, the Hurricanes a little bit more insurance in case of an injury like this. And, and now I'd be hard-pressed to see the Hurricanes come out of that Metropolitan Division. The Rangers go and get Tarasenko, Kane, and don't forget about Nico Mikola and, and, and Tyler Mott, the kind of moves that the teams need to win in the playoffs, make those kind of additions. Uh, the, the New Jersey Devils go out and get Timo Meyer and Kurt. Lazar, uh, those are, are big additions with guys who are signed beyond the season or under team control beyond the season. And it's going to be a tough slot for, for the Hurricanes, but that's a really good young core, even taking Sveshnikov out with Marty Natchez uh, and and just a, a coach and obviously having guys like Rod Brindamore running the show. It's an established team now, and, and I thought this was going to be Carolina's year to make that run and go and, and and be a Stanley Cup contender. And look, if they prove me wrong, it's going to show a lot about what Rod, Rod Brendamore can get out of the talent at his disposal now. Well, the irony of the whole thing, Stephen, I'm interested in your perspective on this. I mean, I know Tom Dundon and Don Waddell have done things in a different manner than most of their counterparts in the National Hockey League. But this was the team that had the most cap space and had the most draft capital as well. Why do you think they decided to maybe play it a little closer to the vest with some smaller additions while everything else was happening around them. Well, and, and Jim Nils said this, and and Don, has, Don Waddell has said this before, is only one team's going to win the Stanley Cup, right? Like, you like you can go all in like the Leafs did, the Lightning did. One of those teams gave up a whole lot of draft picks to lose in the first round. It's just it's just the truth of the matter. Yeah. And, and sure, as a, as a player on a contending team, as a fan of a contending team, you want your general manager to go all out to win. And it's it's interesting because the t- this team's window to win may have just opened now, and, and and the injuries to the goalies last year obviously hurt. You you lose to the Rangers in a second round series, and and could have made made a run maybe if Freddie Anderson and Antioch don't get hurt. But is this just the start of the window? Is this a, a slow build toward this team can win? Maybe when there's more reliable goaltending down the road, and and and, you, and they don't want to kind of give up future assets. But at some point, you got to strike when the iron's hot, and 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 the Rangers certainly did. The Devils maybe a little bit more toward the looking at next year and beyond sort of standpoint. But when you look at the rest of of the conference, you say, okay, well we're either going to win with this team or we're not going to win with this team. It, it does speak a little a lot to the confidence that Don Waddell has in Rod Brindamore of saying, this is who I have, and this is what I think I can win with. You know, just before we get back to the Jets in the West, um, for a time, Buffalo was right in the mix. The Detroit Red Wings were there. Washington's fallen off. I guess the Florida Panthers are still in the mix, and Buffalo technically because of the games played. But uh, are Pittsburgh and New York uh, Islanders going to hang on to those final spots, do you think, by the time we get to 82? Give me the Florida Panthers instead uh, of the Islanders. And and I was just looking at some playoff odds on, on, on 538, and, and that actually, it looks like a 50-50 chance basically between the Panthers and the Islanders for that final playoff spot. But, yeah, the Sabres do have games in hand. Uh, Caps uh, and Sabres tonight is one of those games of two teams kind of clinging to it. And for the Sabres, there's value in just being in the playoff race. Same thing with the Ottawa Senators, I think, too. 
young team hasn't really been there before for the Islanders and the Panthers and the Penguins. You guys, this team's got to get in. Like the Penguins are pretty solidly in at this point, unless the wheels fall off. But it, it, this is teams like you, you add a Bo, Bo Horvat if you're Lou Lamorello, you add a Pierre Engvall to try to get in this year. Ilya Sorokin can absolutely steal a playoff series. But I think the Florida Panthers are, are, are a team with your old friend Paul Maurice in, in charge there. That that team has the talent should, that it should make the playoffs. I mean that even if it is as the seven or eight seed in the Eastern Conference, I think the Islanders should be looking over their shoulder. They got badly outshot by the Capitals the other night at home. Uh, they're they're certainly not safe in that eighth spot. Well, and listen, I will say this about the Panthers. I mean, if they do get in and get some goaltending, uh, they're not going to be an easy out, even for a team like the Boston Bruins in the, in the first round. Um, back to the Jets in the West. Jets, of course, are holding down the second wild card right now and have a five-point lead on the Calgary Flames with even games played. But then there's the Nashville Predators, who had a huge win last night against Detroit. They're four points back with three games in hand. I'll be the first one to admit I sort of wrote them off, Stephen, after number of the trades, including sending Nito Niederreiter to the Winnipeg Jets, and he's been such a big, big addition for uh, for Winnipeg here. Um, are the Predators for real? I mean, can they keep this going? And will we be talking about the Predators in the mix for a playoff spot in the final seven to ten days of the season? Well, like the games in hand are only worth it if they win them, right? Like, like the, these are games in hand that the Predators don't put points together, put points on the board. It's not going to really matter. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I wrote the Predators off. This was a sell job by David Poyle in his last deadline as GM before giving the job to Barry Trotz and almost giving him not a blank slate, but giving him a lot of assets to work with and, and a team he can kind of mold in his image over the next few years. But they're getting the kind of goaltending from UC Saros, uh, all-star caliber goaltending to stay in it. And, and if they keep doing that, it doesn't matter that they t- traded Taylor Juneau, that they traded Matias Ekholm, that they traded Nito Niederreiter, that they, they Mikel uh, Granlin, like they, they were, they went all out as sellers at the deadline. And it reminds me a little of the St. Louis blues, what they did back in, in 2016 or 17, where Kevin Shattenkirk was a, a unrestricted free agent. They decided to trade him and still try to go for it. This was even more than that. The, the predators traded guys who were signed long-term a, who maybe didn't fit the the long-term plan of kind of a, a reset or a rebuild there. It's a dangerous team. I, I'm still betting against the Predators getting in and, and the Jets holding on because I think the top eight or nine in, in the West are almost by default because the Blues gave up on the season and sold. The Predators gave up on the season and sold. Teams like the Kraken and, and the Flames didn't do a whole lot to add. Even the Jets didn't do a whole lot to add. But it feels like any team gets in in the West can come out of the West, unlike the East, where I think the top six teams are far better than the other two. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it is just about getting in and then seeing what happens once you get to the postseason. When you look at the eight teams, is it the Seattle Kraken for you that's the most, the best surprise, I guess, on a positive note? And of the teams that are out, who's the biggest disappointment to you of a team that you thought would be, never mind in the playoffs, but far better than where they're at? Yeah, it's the Kraken are the biggest surprise, and, and I'm still wondering how the heck they're doing this with kind of smoke and mirrors aspect of like Martin Jones and Philip Grubauer are, are 900, sub 900 save percentages, and, and it's not like they have guys lighting the league on fire. Matty Beniers has been very good. Uh, uh, Andre Burkowski coming off a Stanley Cup win had been very good. They, they have good players, and Dave Haxtell has done an incredible coaching job there. I don't get it. Uh, if, if they make a run in the playoffs, good for them. I don't understand it. 
a little bit of the LA Kings for me too is with the goaltending they've gotten or not gotten and Phoenix Copley, former Capitals goaltender. I know very well uh, a journeyman coming in and winning 20 games out of the blue is very bizarre to me. Uh, when you look at the West and, and some of the teams with way more talent that fell short, St. Louis being probably also my biggest disappointment in that I thought the blues were able to kind of hang on for one more year. And, and even if it meant do the same sort of thing, you trade a Tarasenko, you trade a, a Barbashev, you trade a uh, Mikola, uh, go down the line, uh, Ryan O'Reilly, and, and still try to stay in it. But they, but Doug Armstrong's like, look, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of these guys. They're, they're, these are assets we can move on from. And it's been a down year. I- injuries have tended to hit a lot of teams harder than others. The Colorado Avalanche being kind of central among them. The Blues were hit by injuries and and, and kind of took that bullet of, hey, this is not going to be our year, and let's try to reset and refresh and win next year. But when the West is as wide open as it is right now. If you get good goaltending, you can make a run to the Stanley Cup final. You might get crushed there, but you can get there. Well, speaking of goaltending, I had a good chat with our old pal Gary Lawless last night, and just talking about you know the fact that uh, Brassois and uh, Thompson seem to be getting closer to return. But of course, Jonathan Quick showed up in Vegas, shut out the Carolina Hurricanes in his last uh, start. Uh, is Quick back? And what would a Vegas Kings series look like in the playoffs with Jonathan Quick in the Vegas net? It would be really fun, right? Like, oh, like yeah. you talk about rivalries. This is the guy who is one of your faces of your franchise, wins a cup for you twice as a playoff MVP, and then gets told over the, over the phone after a game, hey, by the way, we traded you to Columbus. Uh, sorry, pal. Like, you have, you have no trade protection in your contract. Thank you for uh, your service. Yeah, thank you for your service. Have, have a good life. And, and, and obviously knew he wasn't going to the Blue Jackets, but uh, smart of, of Vegas and, and Kelly McCrimmon to go out and, and get Jonathan Quick for nothing, for a, a late-round pick in 2025 that's essentially a, a lottery ticket. Uh, Logan Thompson's the reason if Vegas is going to make a run, it'll be him. I, 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 I don't believe in the sustainability of Jonathan Quick at this age. Maybe he has found another gear, and the motivation of playing because the Kings dumped him changes the way he kind of approaches the rest of the season. But if, if you're the Golden Knights and Logan Thompson's healthy, you're not starting Jonathan Quick. Logan Thompson's your all-star goaltender. I, I, he's your, your kind of faith, your, your future of that position. He took the reins when Robin Leonard uh, was clearly out and, and, and needed to have surgery and you knew he'd miss the season. Uh, but from an entertainment standpoint, and this is what we do in this business, it's entertainment. Jonathan Quick against the LA Kings in the first round, man, bring it on. <laughs> Steven Wino's with us from the AP. I'm speaking of the uh, of the playoffs. We found out today that um, the playoffs will begin on Monday, April 17th. Um, but for a number of teams, the biggest day all year is going to be the 8th of May, Stephen, when uh, the lottery balls start popping. The Connor Bedard lottery, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central on May 8th. Yeah, and and again, we, everybody has this discussion about who tanks and all those sort of things, but there are teams that are very bad right now. San Jose Sharks, the Chicago Blackhawks, Philadelphia Flyers, Anaheim Ducks, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, all, all the, the Arizona Coyotes down at the bottom of, of the NHL that – yeah, this is a huge prize, and 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 we t- it seems like we talk about this every three or four years because there is so much talent coming up through hockey that we had Connor McDavid, and look, Connor Bedard's not Connor McDavid. No one we're ever going to see in our lifetimes is Connor McDavid, but you watch Connor Bedard, and he's a franchise-changing kind of player. Patrick Kane was this for Chicago when they won the draft lottery. Uh, Austin Matthews, Sidney Crosby, and, and and obviously Connor McDavid, and now Connor Bedard, and and now it's like you start looking at those teams and you think. How soon could those teams turn it around? 
with a Connor Bedard kind of in your lineup as your focal point. He he gives you the, the juice on the ice. He gives you juice in kind of the box office and, and all that attention. And to me, like, there's nothing better than the possibility of him playing in Chicago, replacing Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze, or going to Philly, uh, kind of another huge market. Uh, but even a Columbus, where down on your luck, but they've done everything right. They went out and signed Johnny Goodrow. They're trying to win. Uh, Jarmo Kekalainen went all in with, with the trade deadline a few years ago and won a round out of it. But it, an organization that could really use a, kind of an infusion of, of interest and, and another name there with Johnny Goudreau, with Zach Wierenski. No matter where Connor Bedard goes, he's going to be fine. He's going to be great. But there are some really tantalizing possibilities. Well, let me ask you about the Flyers, uh, one of those teams that are in the mix for Bedard. Um, Chuck Fletcher was the guy that was operating the team through the trade deadline, and a few days later, he's fired. What's up with the timing of that? And um, is Danny Briere the next guy for Philly? Well, he, he failed. Chuck Fletcher failed the trade deadline. Like, there's no other way to explain it. You, you cannot possibly have an asset like James Van Reams, like a multi-time 20-goal scorer, and not be able to get anything for him as a, as a pending free agent. Uh, it's just it, it's inexplicable to me how he handled the deadline, how he has handled drafts and contracts and kind of the rebuilding or remaking of, of this organization. He got a little un- unlucky with the trade of Ryan out El- for Ryan Ellis that, that he's that the injury was way worse than anybody kind of realized at the time, but every move he has seemed to make is terrible. Uh, everyone likes Chuck Fletcher very much as a person, but he was not getting the job done. And, and yeah, Danny Breer has been a, a kind of a rising star in this. And he was a finalist for the, the GM job in Montreal that went to Kent Hughes and, and kind of has been groomed for this in Philadelphia. I, I know there's this kind of this, that stereotype out there that the Flyers only hire former players for this job. And it was Paul Holmgren. It was Bobby Clark. It was Ron Hextall. And Ron Hextall did hamstring Chuck Fletcher a lot with some of these contracts and some of these draft picks. But Danny Briere has kind of come up through the business side. He's not part of the old guard. He has a new kind of way of thinking about hockey, a little bit more analytical, a little less old school. Probably suits an organization that has really lost its way. And it's going to be probably a decade before that team can contend and legitimately be a Stanley Cup contender again. You know, not that this really has anything to do with the Flyers' job, but I have to ask, I'm not sure if you saw this video on social media yesterday about um, Breer's son, who's, I believe, a player at Mercyhurst, throwing a girl's wheelchair down the stairs. I mean, no one was hurting it, but, I mean, it just it couldn't look any worse. Um, in today's day of social media, um, does that hurt Breer at all as far as his standing with the Flyers and the public there? I mean, or is that just something you can't put on a guy because uh, it's someone in his family? I wouldn't put it on on him now, but I'm going to be fascinated to see how Mercyhurst and Carson Breer handle this and how uh, Philadelphia Flyers and Daniel Breer handle kind of this moving forward when they're asked about it as it becomes a news story, kind of how you take something that was a stupid move by a 23-year-old and and turn it into – is there some remorse there? Is there some learn? Is there a learning process there? Because there's accountability, and John Tortorella has talked about this as a coach of a hockey team. But accountability for your actions as a human being, and I think the response to this will say a lot about Daniel Briere, the Philadelphia Flyers, Carson Briere, and Mercyhurst. Yeah, no doubt about it. Speaking of torts, where, where is he at in all of this going forward? Is he the guy going forward? Will he be maybe an even bigger voice in the organization now that Chuck Fletcher's gone? Ask me May 8th at about 7.31 Eastern, um, and, and, I'll, and I'll have the answer for you at that point. Um, I, I think a lot does have to do with, with the draft lottery, at least at least from a 10,000-feet perspective as I look at it. If you're the Philadelphia Flyers and you get Connor Bedard, 
do you want John Tortorella coaching Connor Bedard? And, and maybe the answer to that is yes. And, and, and that's very much a possibility. But do, does everything kind of get reevaluated at that point? Remember with the Edmonton Oilers when, when they won the draft lottery, the, the whole organization, Daryl Cates, looked at it and just blew the whole thing up and said, we need a real kind of management. We need to redo everything we do as an organization because we have Connor McDavid. If, if the Flyers and, and, and Comcast Spectacor and, and whoever is the president of hockey operations along with Danny Breer can look at this and say, we need to clean house and change everything we do here because of Connor Bedard, that changes it. If the Flyers do not win the draft lottery and it is not Connor Bedard, it's not a player who you're adding to the lineup, this is the this is what teams at the bottom of the standings need to do. And I think the Chicago Blackhawks are doing a great job of this with Luke Richardson of setting a foundation for good habits and kind of what young players need to do in the NHL to be able to win long-term. It may not amount to a lot of wins and points in the standings now, but John Tortorella is the kind of coach who can get a lot out of a little bit of talent and sort of set that foundation. He's probably not going to be the coach when you win a Stanley Cup or you make the playoffs at this stage of, of, of the Flyers' development, but as long as they're on a track, a slow build of trying to get this team back built the right way, John Tortorella is probably one of the coaches you want doing that. Uh, why do anything catch your eye or uh, noteworthy coming out of the GM meetings uh, for you? Well, I, mean, I think the fact that the playoff format is going to remain the same is something that I know a lot of fans and even some players don't like. But Gary Bettman has said it, it, it does work for the league, and the league very much likes having those rivalries early in the playoffs and being able to sell those rivalries in the regular season and kind of have the regular season matchups have more meaning because of the playoffs. So from the league perspective, it is working. And, 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 and obviously you, if you're a fan of the Maple Leafs and the lightning, the idea of, of these teams facing off in the first round, not a great thing, but the Capitals and Penguins dealt with this multiple years during all of this. Each team won a championship at a certain point win your series. And so I'm not going to add to the the kind of chorus of complaints about the playoff format. I think there are a lot of kind of issues with, you have to change the schedule around and all that sort of thing. I love one to 16. Pete DeBoer said this at all-star. I love the idea of going one to 16. You would have a couple wacky first round series where you might have Boston, LA and some long distance travel. And I know there's some trappings to that. I think mixing it up every few years is nice to do, but there's so many different trappings that come with that when you have an 82 game season to deal with. Yeah, if we if it was one to sixteen, I'm just looking at this right now. Yeah, it's it fun, right? Look at that. Rangers, Lightning, Kings, Wild, Stars, Oilers, Leafs, Kraken, Vegas, Golden Knights, Avalanche, Jets, Devils, Penguins, Hurricanes, and uh, Boston and the Islanders. So there still is a couple series that would show out. I, I'm still just not sure about the the major benefits to the league gets the schedule is something. I mean, I guess if you're taking it one to eight, you probably need a more even schedule throughout the, uh, throughout the, the, at least the conference. And obviously right now you play more within your division and that could be, I mean, certainly this year, if you look at divisions like the Pacific and the central compared to the East, there's a, a pretty big disparity as far as high end teams. And, and that's what the NHL has talked about and Gary Bettman has talked about is they like the robbery games during the regular season. I think fans do too. I mean, the idea of, of kind of Jets-Oilers or Jets-Wild, those those games get fans more into it and even players into it more than, say, the Jets against the Devils or, or you know, like the idea of, of th- these games actually matter. Like people enjoy going to see a Rangers-Devils game or a Flyers-Penguins game. Like there is something to be said for that. And, and if the punishment for that is this is the playoff format, you still have 16 teams getting in. It's still difficult to make the playoffs in the NHL. 
and and whether you have to win a first round series against a tough team and maybe your conference final is easier. I, I don't think there's as much momentum toward change as some people would think. Steven Wino's with us. Wino, just before we go, I know you're uh, doing some double duty on NHL and NFL right now. I got to quickly ask you about uh, the commanders, the team up. Ron Rivera is still there. Eric Bieniemy is coming in from the Chiefs to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, who's going to be pulling the trigger behind center? We just saw the folk hero Taylor Heineke sign an ATL. Yeah, Taylor Heineke got paid in Atlanta, two-year deal up to $20 million. Uh, Sam Howell. Sam Howell is going into spring workouts as the, the starting quarterback. Uh, when he was at North Carolina, he was a projected maybe top pick, maybe a, certainly a top five, top ten pick. And then he had a bad last year there, wound up falling to the fifth round. Commanders got him there, got him into a game late last season. And, and look, he's not a, a sure thing, but the Commanders, I, I think that's a smart strategy. Pour all your money into re-signing Deron Payne and, and kind of making your defense one of the best in the league, giving him an offensive line to protect him and saying, we have a great offensive coordinator in Eric Bietemi, someone who could be a head coach either in Washington replacing Ron Rivera or elsewhere and say and see what Sam Howell can do. And, and they're going to sign a veteran at some stage here to push and kind of compete with and, and even mentor a little bit Sam Howell. But this is Sam Howell's job to lose, and we'll see. He's a little bit undersized, but he can throw the ball. He can run a little bit too. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Eric Bieniemy does with not Patrick Mahomes. Hey, just speaking of the uh, commanders, what uh, what's the future of Daniel Snyder? Will he be an NFL owner later on this season or next year if we're having a conversation at this time? I haven't checked my phone lately. I don't know. I don't know if he is uh, as of right now. I mean, I, I think a sale is is, is very close, and, and we've all kind of see, uh, heard it's obviously Jeff Bezos one bidder, uh, Josh Harris who owns the Devils and, and the Philadelphia 76ers, um, with Mitchell Rails, who's a local kind of DC billionaire, as being kind of the, the leading candidates to this. I think given kind of everything that's been building up with the commanders and Dan Snyder, uh, sooner than later a sale is going to happen. Uh, it'll be probably official before next season at, at the very latest. I'm sure the uh, from the sounds of it, the rest of the NFL owners can't have this happen soon enough. Um, Steven, thanks so much for doing this. Let's catch up closer to playoff time. Cannot wait to see what happens in the postseason. Thanks, Hustle. Enjoy the, enjoy the stretch run. All right, good stuff with Wino. Still more to come on the program. We got to get to the cool bit line, see what's happening tonight in the uh, National Hockey League. And we're about to be speaking with the first ever member of the Sea Bears, our new CEBL basketball team. Just before we do that, gang, in the chat right now and in the description or at winnipegsportstalk.com slash links if you're listening on the podcast, the link to get your tickets for our Winnipeg Sports Talk Sports Trivia Night, which is two weeks today over at Little Brown Jug. We had such a great time meeting all of you and hanging out at the first event at the end of the summer. We're doing it again two weeks today on March 29th. Obviously, Tickets are limited, so make sure you count yourself in. Grab your spot right now. Link in the description. And for those of us that are with us live on YouTube, click it right now. Count yourself in, and we'll see you at Little Brown Jug two weeks from today. Of course, our great sponsors, Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg's favorite beer. Pick it up there at the brewery and taproom on William Avenue or your favorite beer store, Manitoba Liquor Marts, anywhere that sells great beer. And, of course, you can check them out online as well at littlebrownjug.ca. And just before we welcome in Chad Posthumous, we got to give a big shout-out to the Nick and Nikki DQ Group. Now, we had that great two-year anniversary cake last week from Nick and Nikki. We have to get a Seabear cake for the big game coming up on the 27th <laughs> when the uh, the team starts. Of course, Nick and Nikki have you covered for great Blizzard treats, flamethrower burgers and more 
uh, and also the best ice cream and blizzard cakes around. You can order them online, custom made, by hitting them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba or pop into any of the four Nick and Nicky DQs, DQ Northgate, DQ Niverville, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Big thanks to Nick and Nicky for, uh, Nick for their support since day one of Winnipeg Sports Talk. All right. I've been looking forward to this uh, gang. Anyone that's a regular listener knows that Remus and I are very fired up for the return of professional basketball to Winnipeg. We've got our team, we've got our logo, and now we've got our first player, a hometown product who has been all over the world hooping for the last (laughs) few years. But Chad Posthumus is home. He is the first ever member of the Winnipeg Sea Bears, and he joins us now on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Chad, what's up? Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk, and welcome home. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on the show. You know what? I'm great. This is a fun time. We got a lot of excitement about the local hockey teams as we get down the playoff stretch, but um, you know, we're going to get into spring, and we've got a new kid on the block when it comes to the sports scene, <laughs> and it is the Winnipeg Sea Bears of the CEBL. Can't wait to talk to you about the league which you've played in and the team. Um, but you are a hometown product. You were an incredible star at a high school level. Fill us in a little bit on your basketball journey since we saw you starring at River East, playing both north and south of the border as a college player, and then transitioning over to the pro game. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I'm that new at this point in time. I'm uh, getting up there in age, but uh, still going. Yeah, no, started uh, obviously at River East, just down the road here. Um, and then moving on from there, went to the University of British Columbia for a year, played there, um, kind of decided that Canada basketball wasn't uh, wasn't just the ceiling for me at that point in time. So made uh, made some changes, went down to play uh, in the U.S., ended up at Moorhead State um, in Kentucky, and that's a Division One school. So playing down there, um, had a really great, really great couple of years there. Brought me, uh, brought me a lot of uh, opportunities, I guess you could say, post uh, post my college career. So right out of there, ended up playing with signing with the Chicago Bulls uh, in the NBA. Um, had a summer league contract with them, and then d- move into a preseason thing. Um, didn't end up working out with them, but uh, kind of opened the doors for me to go play overseas, where I ended up playing in Japan for a few years. Um, and then after that, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, been all over the world. Played here in Canada, played in Argentina, played in China, played in Uruguay, um, and then traveling around everywhere with the senior men's and Canadian national team as well. Um, this last little bit, we've had World Cup qualifying games all over uh, here in North and South America, the Dominican Republic, along with the America Cup down in Brazil, plus uh, most recently in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in Caracas, Venezuela. So been been everywhere, as you mentioned. It's been It's been a great journey thus far. Got got the air miles. I got to quickly ask you about playing in Japan. Um, what was that experience like? And what was it like off the court? Because I imagine that you, like, no matter where you went, you were the, probably the tallest person within <laughs> yeah. a, a, a large radius. You'd be surprised on it. The people in Japan aren't actually a lot. I wouldn't say a lot smaller overall. I would say the biggest difference is there's a lot less tall people there, right? Like, the average height, everybody's near that like smaller level, right? There's not like you're six three, six four. Like you see a six foot three, six foot four person every day, every day, everywhere you go, right? Um, I think that's the biggest difference there. But yeah, having me at, at my height, um, there's obviously you get a lot of stairs here and there, but there Japan's awesome. I love it. It was if you haven't if you can have the opportunity to travel there, 
I would definitely take it. It's one of the cleanest countries in the world, one of the most well-run. Um, and the people there are just the politest. They'll do anything to help you out. And it's, it was an amazing experience, honestly. What was the Not hoops just, like there? It was good. Yeah, it was really good. It was really competitive. They, uh, I'd say the top the top level of teams there, they pay they pay really well. But uh, but every team brings in two or three import players. Um, now it's up to about three or four. You're allowed to have two on the court at a time only, though. Um, so every import player that they bring in has some type of NBA experience or NBA name. They like to bring in these big guys, um, not necessarily myself, but guys that are like later on in their NBA careers, maybe phasing out of that to come in and play and sell tickets for them. But, uh, but you're basically going against, uh, another, uh, import player, NBA guy that every night of the, every night, every game there, and then kind of how it runs with, uh, with, if you're going to be winning or losing is how, the local guys, the Japanese players, how they fare against each other. Because for the most part, um, the import players kind of cancel each other out when you're playing. Well, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, you know, Japan and Argentina and all that work with the Canadian uh, national program. Um, and then it was time to come home and, and play professionally. And I guess yeah. 2019, the inaugural season of the CEBL. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about coming back to Canada, the opportunity, of course, you remember the championship team in that first year with the Saskatchewan franchise. Um, Tell us about the opportunity for the CEBL and what you've seen from this league that we're all going to be introduced to in a couple months live here in Winnipeg. Oh, it's huge. Having this league and, as you mentioned, the opportunity to play here in Canada um, and having the opportunity not only for players to play here but for fans to watch the best players to play um, that are from Canada because it's it's a league that runs opposite to most leagues around the world, right? So you're playing with top-level European guys. You're playing with some of these bench NBA players or guys that kind of are trying to crack an NBA roster the next season or maybe slipped out of a rotation and fell off of a roster the season before, right? And they're trying to get back. So you're actually playing and get playing with and then um, for the fans getting to watch guys that are playing in the top league in the world um, on a nightly basis. So kind of having that plus with the, the U sports partnership that they have for these young kids, it's bringing a lot of uh, the talent that normally would go play division one staying here in Canada to play U sports. Cause you have those players um, that dress every night of the 10 players. One of them has to be a U sports player. So whether they're getting a lot of minutes or not, they're in practice with us every day. They're working on their game. They're playing with pros. So just having that opportunity in the CBL has been, been amazing. Um, And then, yeah, starting back in 2019 in Saskatchewan, there were six teams uh, fortunate enough to be on the championship team that year and kind of moving forward, the league has just expanded. It's in every big market aside from, uh, Halifax over there on the East Coast. Now we're Vancouver to Toronto. Toronto's got two teams, so it's huge. It's uh, it's, it's on the come up. The league's doing great. The CEO, CEO Mike Morielli's been an awesome and just uh, spreading all the spreading the league and just getting it from the from the grassroots all the way to the top with some of the partnerships that they have now. Well, we had Mike on the show actually uh, shortly after the team was announced to find out a little bit more on the league, and I mean it really is exciting. I mean I'm old enough yeah. to remember the thunder uh, and the cyclone here. And I think it's just such a coup for the Seabears to be playing at Canada Life Center. Oh, I mean, awesome, I, I yeah. a world-class, uh, you know, facility for something like this. Um, but just before we talk about the Winnipeg team and this opportunity for you, as someone that has, you know, played so much for Canada and had involvement, I mean, 
to have a league like this for our country at a grassroots level that's giving you sports players opportunities, but also brings in with the unique schedule, top players from around the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, for someone that has basically grown up in this sport, how impactful is, has the CEBL already been? And will it be in a market like Winnipeg, which as we've seen has a huge basketball community that is growing every single year. Yeah. Every single year. It's just kind of a testament to the, the WNBA and basketball Manitoba and even the PBA Filipino basketball association that we have here. You have, hundreds of teams literally competing. I was I was talking to somebody about this earlier today, but um, I think it was Sarah Orleski we were chatting, but it's, you have people in gyms from 4 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. every night. Like there's no gyms for basketball. It's grown that much at this point in time. Um, so it's just huge. And then obviously the fans in Winnipeg, I tell everybody this, everybody's like, everybody knocks Winnipeg that's not from Winnipeg, but I'm like, fans here the people here they're the best and everybody that comes and visits once they're here they already know that as i'm as i'm sure you and everyone else knows just having that winnipeg connection is something that a lot of people including you look at myself now come back to um and i think they're going to take hold of the team and embrace it. and i think it's going to be be really special to have the team here kind of like we have the bombers and the jets and everybody is is always on board with those sellouts all the time some of the best fans in the league right well, I, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, you know, having remembered how fun it was when the Thunder debuted and the crowds that they had at the old yeah. Winnipeg Arena, I mean, I really think there's the potential for this. And, you know, you mentioned the Filipino uh, Basketball uh, Association. Um, you know, we had Sean Moranin on, the uh, one of the second team All-Canadian from the U of W, yeah. um, young Filipino guy. What a treat he was to have on the program and watch him awesome. play. And, man, I went to that Bison-Westman game which probably was the biggest game in the history of the men's side of the crosstown rivalry for a trip to nationals. Yeah. I mean, a sold-out crowd, great presence by the Seabears at it, which was probably very fortuitous to have a game of that magnitude just as they're starting. The same year, right? Amazing. But, yeah, but I mean, if you hadn't been paying attention, if you were just a hockey or a football guy and you went to that, you would probably be shocked of just how big it is. And I think we're just scratching the surface of the potential for pro hoops here in Winnipeg. And obviously starting it off with a hometown player like yourself as the first guy signing was probably a huge honor and a great opportunity. Tell us how it all came about that um, the team's here. And now all of a sudden you are the, uh, in a lot of ways, the face of the franchise, at least right now <laughs> until you get some teammates. Yeah, for sure. I know we got a, we got a couple other guys signed and a few more in the works that they're just waiting to announce. So we got, I'm not the, I'm not, I'm not here alone as of, uh, as of right now. Still, we got some guys going, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's honestly super exciting. It's, as you mentioned, an honor just to be the first player here, um, coming back here into Winnipeg, being able to play here and, uh, just, just, yeah, just, it's an honor. Yeah. I don't know what else to say about that. How did um, it come about? I mean, uh, I mean, obviously I'm sure you were quite interested in the Winnipeg opportunity yeah, when you heard so that I, there was going to be a team being a veteran. I of the I've been been chatting, as you mentioned, with as we talked about Mike Morielli for a while now, and there were there's been murmurings for uh, for some time now. And then uh, late last year, uh, I kind of found out something that uh, the team's likely going to be here. Somebody's going to be coming here. Didn't have an owner yet at the time. Um, didn't have anything like that. But uh, but just the opportunity, I I was like, wow, this is yeah, it's awesome. Embraced it, ready for it. Um, and then when it finally did come around, yeah, super exciting. Um, couldn't have asked for a better owner in uh, David Asper, the family there. 
Um, and uh, just the way that they've done everything, built it up, and the people that they have on the team already here, um, account managers to the operations, everybody. It's been it's been first class all the way. So yeah, can't uh, can't thank anybody enough for it. Just the opportunity to have it here, right? Chad Possumus, the uh, first ever Winnipeg Sea Bear with us. The season begins at the end of May, May twenty seventh. Um, what what do what should fans, people that are not familiar with the league? need to know about uh, about the CEBL and what they'll see when they uh, get tickets and head down to Canada Life Centre to see our new team? I think it's uh, it's a very exciting game. It's very similar to the NBA um, in terms of just the type of style and the play that you expect. High-scoring games, lots of threes, lots of dunks, lots of, uh, lots of maneuverability, lots of exciting players out there. Um, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really exciting, a lot of fun for, for everybody. They play music. Most of the game, it's not just a basketball game. It's an entire experience you're coming out to. So they got to remember that even if you don't enjoy basketball, just coming out and having a drink with your friends or bringing your kids out for a night. It's, it's awesome. There's something for everybody there. So it's really exciting. When, when, um, when do you guys get to work? I mean, when will you guys get to camp? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, behind the scenes, there's a ton of work going on to putting this team together. But yeah. um. When do you expect to be on the court and um, getting ready for uh, the debut of Sea Bear basketball here in the peg? So most of the guys, um, I just finished my season in chat with Champions League uh, a couple weeks ago, and then the Team Canada uh, windows and stuff for World Cup qualifiers. But most of the guys that are going to be on the team and and playing in the league or finishing up their NBA seasons, their NBA G League seasons, and their European seasons um, right around the end of April, beginning of May. Um, some of the guys that go further in playoffs will be closer to June um, and then they'll kind of make the transition over. But for the most part, guys are going to be getting here early May. I think May 10th to 15th is when most of the guys will get here. Training camp starts on the 15th and then obviously that first game, uh, May 27th there. Well, I tell you what, we cannot wait for it. Uh, I can tell you that myself and uh, Michael and a ton of the Winnipeg Sports Talk daily chat are going to be there. Awesome. And uh, Love to we'll hear look it. forward to that home opener on Saturday, May 27th, 7 p.m. downtown. It's the Seabears versus the Vancouver Bandits at Canada Life Center. Of course, folks, if you want to get uh, jump on tickets, um, they're working hard right now to fill that building. So get on over to the website or get in touch with the Seabears to count yourself in. in. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, Chad, promise us you'll come back when the season gets going. We can talk a little bit guys, more definitely. about the big time. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you down at the... Uh, I would say normally the rink. I guess technically it'll be a gym in this case for when the Sea Bears yeah, get going. Exactly. Bottom line, our great downtown arena with the newest tenant, um, our new CEBL team, the Winnipeg Sea Bears. Congratulations on being number one in team history, and uh, we'll look forward to win number one, hopefully on the 27th oh, of May. Oh, 100%. Yeah, thank you so much. You can uh, follow us, the Sea Bears Instagram account, and then my personal one, chad.posthumous, and we'll uh, we'll be giving some free tickets away coming up to this uh this game trying to pack this place too. So it'll be fun. Well, uh, we will book it. See you on the 27th and all the best in the months to come as uh, all the work is done behind the scenes to uh, get off to a great start with the debut of Winnipeg in the CEBL. Chad, thanks for doing this. All the best. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. <laughs> great stuff. There's Chad Posthumus uh, again. Sea uh, Bears on Instagram, Twitter, uh, their website, and I'm just looking at the schedule right now. They've got their ticket packages. It's all they're ready for you, and uh, that is going to be a lot of fun. Give us something else to talk about during the off season for uh, for hockey and and around 
the Bombers, and it just goes to show what a great sports city Winnipeg is. I mean, you know, we've got the ice and the moose and the jets when it comes to uh, the, the hockey scene. Certainly, I mean, the Blue Bombers speak for itself. The Gold Eyes are looking forward to another great season at the ballpark and now to have a pro basketball team joining uh, a league that's already been quite successful and continues to grow. I think uh, pretty fired up. Remo, you're going to get out to some games, huh? I, I, I honestly can't wait. I had so much fun back in the day going to those Thunder games, especially at the at the arena. Uh, I think this is going to be like 2.0 of it, um, bringing in hoops. And uh, it'll be probably a different crowd. The city's changed a lot. But I think there's just so much potential for this in our market. Yeah, I remember there was the preseason game here a couple years ago, T-Wolves and Bulls, and I went to that. And that was a packed house. For the preseason game, obviously not NBA, but it was great having Chad on, who's from Winnipeg, going to be a part of the Sea Bears. Uh, got me fired up. I see they're on social media, and they got still got a couple of courtside seats left, which were really affordable. And yes, I would like to get out to a game experience, some Sea Bear basketball and CEBL. So I think this is going to be pretty cool. There's not like a ton of a ton of games, but um, again, I think this is something that could definitely work here. In the summer. So, yeah, we'll be following it for sure when it tips off. I remember when he was uh, a stud with River East and, you know, was highly recruited here in Canada and obviously ended up going down to the States. But I'm just looking at his at his numbers from his last his senior season at River East. Yeah. And he was considered one of the top basketball players, not just in the province, but in the country. But check out these numbers, Reem. He averaged 39 points and 25 rebounds <laughs> and seven blocks a game as a senior at River East. Yeah, those are some serious numbers. And people are asking in chat um, how tall he is. Uh, six foot 11. He is a center. And yeah, that is a big dude. And pushing seven him, feet. I mean, coming from Winnipeg, getting to play on uh, with the G League team for our uh, summer league for the Bulls, played all over. That's a pretty cool story, and then coming home here to Winnipeg. So uh, some nice, really nice high school numbers uh, there. Well, and I can't wait to see, I mean, any local talent, certainly who the U Sports player will be on the club, and uh, we'll talk about it more as we get closer to Bear season here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks to Riley and the gang at the Bears for helping us set that up, and great to have Chad on the program. Everyone asking in chat if he can play uh, defense. We need a, a big, strong defense. <laughs> <laughs> Out six seven is out six eleven yeah. is in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it looked good on some skates. Uh, all right, let's uh, take a quick look at the cool bet lines for tonight. Four games in the National Hockey League. Pretty juicy matchup between the Avalanche and the Maple Leafs. Toronto minus one forty one, coming off that loss to the Sabers, and the Avalanche after pumping the Habs are a plus one twenty road underdog. That game just after six p.m. Another matchup, Buffalo and Washington. Buffalo needs to win to stay in the mix for potentially getting into that eighth spot. Washington's sort of into next year territory. Ovi, a game-time decision, didn't play last night. I think the Caps have lost their last eight or nine games with Ovechkin out of the lineup. I think uh, Buffalo might be our daily pick for Cool Bet Canada coming up a little later on. Buffalo, minus 103, slight road underdog in Washington. To take on the Caps. Uh, the Minnesota Wild continue to play without Kirill Kaprizov, but they are a favorite, minus 136 against the Blues who are in next year territory. And the Islanders, after not able to get into overtime last night, that was our pick yesterday uh, against the Kings, 
They are a considerable favorite, minus 205. That's a team that needs a win. They're taking on the Anaheim Ducks, and that's a team that needs a loss, considering that May 8th draft lottery. Uh, the points aren't doing themselves any favors right now. Um, I don't have, we did cash that exclusive last night. Shout out to anyone that rode with me on, uh, what was it, Vegas, Rangers, and Vancouver. Got that up to plus 530. That was a nice one. We'll wait for a hockey exclusive tomorrow. However, if you go to the exclusives right now, uh, we do have a, uh, a lock shop exclusive for the Valspar. Um, and the Valspar is coming up. I'm oh, sorry, I screwed this up here. Canada specials. Let me just get this back here. Valspar championship exclusives. We've got the lock shop partner parlay. Adam Hadwin, uh, John Sue, Ashgate Badia, and my guy, Byung Hung On, Benny On playing well, all to make the cut, boosted up to plus 400. A no is minus 714. I'm on the yes right now. If you do want a little make the cut parlay at a nice number, get on over and check out the Lock Shop Partner Parlay in the Valspar Championship exclusives. Um, all right, don't forget, if you haven't played a cool bet before, you can use the promo code WST when you're making your first deposit, and they will double match your deposit up to uh, 200 bucks, a 100% bonus on that first deposit. Um, all right, we've got a great, great show today. I guess we should touch on uh, Aaron Rodgers quickly before we go, Reem. Um, right before we went on the air, Aaron Rodgers went on, where else? The Pat McAfee show to uh, announce to everyone that he is, in fact, intending on playing. He is, in fact, intending on playing for the New York Jets. But it's not his fault, has nothing to do with him, that this hasn't been done yet. It's the Packers who are grinding the Jets for compensation. Um, I guess some clarity right now. Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets, presumably as soon as they can uh, work out a deal to get Rodgers to Gotham. Yeah, we heard Jets, Huss, and uh, shout out to the Winnipeg Jets social media team who are at it again, putting out this picture of Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> on the, <laughs> confirming him on the Winnipeg Jets. And if you're on the podcast, there's a picture of him photoshopped in a reverse retro 12 jersey. This is absolutely incredible. And this is the least first Photoshop work. There's a lot of Photoshop work here. Here's another one of him in a. <laughs> the aviator and the aviator so uh someone else did this one where was there's oh yeah there's <laughs> like <laughs> we're just posting like fake gra- graphics of air rogers and jets jersey here so uh pretty that. pretty funny i mean 400 what, 440,000 people watching on youtube and pat mcafee uh pretty incredible so um, everyone hanging on. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think he was annoyed that what well, they said he had a list of demands, but he they asked him for input and he gave some requests about what we talked yesterday. Yeah, basically about. all the receivers that he bitched about last year in Green Bay, he wants the Jets to sign yeah. them. Apparently, well, and the Jets Alan have Lazard, first man up. Yeah, and the Jets have receivers. They have um, who Elijah Murr, and they have Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson, offensive yeah. rookie of the year. So they ha- they have good good guys. So I don't know why. I mean, Alan Lazard's he's he's all right, but we'll see what happens. I'm sure he'll be uh, very excited every day to talk to the New York media. So I'm, this isn't the last. Now that, you know, like he hasn't been officially traded to the Jets yet. He just said he wanted to go to the Jets. 
uh, one other thing from last night. Did you check out the animated game that the National Hockey League did between, uh, was it the Rangers and Capitals last night? What I was thought it that called? Was, it was called Big Yeah, Big, Big City. something. I, 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 and I'm not sure whether that's a takeoff of a cartoon that is oh, yeah, Big City Greens. Yeah, Big, Big City, City Greens. Greens. There you go. I don't know so what it is. I wasn't familiar with it before, but they used the player tracking on all the guys to actually basically make an animated version of the game. And if you were watching the highlights last night on either TSN or Sportsnet, I mean, the goals were whatever. What was cool was watching the goals being done in the animated version. They had Kevin Weeks on the call as well as, you know, in an animated form. Um, I know we've seen cool things like the Nickelodeon game in the National Football League. Uh, and I'm not too sure how many people saw this or how it was put forth. All I know is that it's a pretty cool endeavor with information that's seemingly already available right now, Reem. And I wouldn't imagine I would imagine that this is something that they'll try to expand on as we move forward to try to, you know, maybe hook and introduce some new fans to uh, the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, uh, they already have this player tracking. They're adding it to make a make it look like a video game. You got exploding nets when they score. Um, I do. I'm a huge fan of the Nickelodeon game. I think that's awesome. So. We'll see how this goes. Um, I don't know how available that was in Canada, but and I don't even know if I can show you know show the game show it on here. But it's on Twitter, Big City Greens. Uh, just type it into the search, and you'll come up Big City Greens NHL. And it's I'll say it's interesting. I'll leave yeah, it. I, yeah, it, yeah. It's neat. It's I mean, it's neat. It's um, I mean, I wouldn't expect regular fans to not watch the game on regular television instead to watch it as a cartoon. No. Um, but I'll tell you what, they're trying to grow the game. They're I w- trying to introduce it to some new people, especially younger people, and uh, I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah, I think it's cool. I'd rather see like a Nickelodeon-style NHL. Like, give me the, give me a puck trail. Um, like, bring back the glow puck, no question. Some, like, nets, like, on fire. Stuff like that when you score. Um, can, you know, fake confetti. Make it like a video game. Yeah, I think you need to do that. Look, they're going to bring in, like, board ads. I'm sure they can give me a puck trail, too. <laughs> yes, the board ads, which everyone's loving so, right MC now, Storm's, along with the playoff format. Yeah, Mortal Kombat finishes, MC Storm. So, yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Finish him. Speaking of finish him, all right, tonight's the night. How many people in chat are going to AEW? Christopher Metz there. I mean, he was our winner of the uh, last pair of tickets, so I know Chris is going to be there. Uh, would love to hear... In the chat, who's going to be there? Remo, we're almost here. And as I say, I didn't think too much about this over the last little while. But come the weekend, and I did watch the AEW pay-per-view last weekend to kind of get me ready for it to be up on everything. I am so geeked. This is going to be so much fun. Really, ever since we talked to Don Callis, I have been like max excited for what should be an awesome, awesome night. And I think this crowd is going to make the entire night. Um, I think there's a lot of Winnipeggers that are fired up for the AEW to come, especially considering Chris Jericho's back, Kenny Omega's back. And I'm not sure the last time those guys were in a ring together, you know, as, you know, competing against each other, it might've been that Tokyo Dome match for all I know. Um, but I can guarantee that it is going to be a hell of a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be a big, uh, big crowd. Uh, you know, we were at the SmackDown, or I was at SmackDown. It was, again, people get fired up here for wrestling. We had Chris Jericho on here, that Winnipeg is a wrestling city, and it's going to shock people within the company. 
And I agree. I think, you know, there's going to be big pops for Jericho, Kenny Omega. Uh, you know, we got the MJF rebar mitzvah, which I'm very excited I, that's, for. That's the got best. My, got my keeper ready, and we'll have to see. We'll have to see what this is like today. It's going to be on TV if you can't go. Um, so I think it's on what, yeah, T- live, TSN. Yeah, live on TSN too. Uh, let's see. Uh, hopefully make it look good, look good for it. Jay Miller. Oh, with the beautiful Billy Red Lions reference. Don't you dare miss it. Excellent work, Jay. I caught that as well. And I see some folks are going to be out there in 119. I think the WST crew is in 117. Off of the aisle from 118. So, um, anyways, we'll be on that side. Probably lots of camera time. Wear your WST gear, folks. Maybe make some WST signs if you're right behind the uh, right behind the camera. Um, anyways, I'm joking about that. But anyways, no, it I'm should be a lot make of fun. signs. We're yeah. not enough signs anymore. Sure. <laughs> Chris Vermette, you know, listen. I'm not sure whether Rabbi Libel is going to be involved in the rebar mitzvah of MJF, but. If they wanted the coolest rabbi in town, Matt would certainly be the guy. Uh, oh, and yes, Bobby B asking, did Mike fly in with the AEW gang? Yes, he did. And let me just get the text message. Who did he say? Who did he say was in here for this uh, for the event? Mike said, I am on the flight. I didn't know a lot of the people, but oh, Britt Baker's here? Yes. Britt Baker, Adam Cole, Buddy Murphy, Malachi Black, uh, were all on the flight. So, um, he anyways, knew all those guys. A, pardon me. He knew. He recognized them all, or he did some reporting. Uh, it, well, I'm not sure either way. But listen, Mike knows. Mike, Mike knows. I I'll mean, say, there's I saw... so many people that pretend they don't know. Ah, I kind of pay attention to wrestling once in a while, when really, they know everyone. And Mike is, I think, one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. I just don't try to fake it that I might not be all over AEW. I saw um, Don Callis posted a picture of him over dinner with Tony Schiavone. I thought that was pretty cool seeing him in Winnipeg. I mean, he's a... Where'd they go, Sal's? Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure where it went. They might have been out at with Joe Aiello. I don't know, but... Uh, oh, yeah, of course, over at Frankie's. Uh, yeah, so... As, I mean, I wasn't a huge like WCW guy because we didn't really get it uh, here. But, I mean, that guy's a... a wrestling legend and Jeff Jarrett's going to be in the ring, which I think is pretty cool. Chris Jericho as well, as we mentioned. So uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, no doubt. We'll see you there. And as a special added bonus for you, WST listeners, if there is an intermission at all, come by the, uh, the, the area outside section 117, 118, myself and my tag team partner, Ezra Ginsburg of illegal curve will as we do at each live wrestling event, attempt to put Michael Remus through a table. Our manager, Gregory Liverpool, I'm sure will be around. It will be quite a scene. Uh, no, joking aside, we're going to have, uh, we're fired up for it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. And um, as I said, you can check it out on TSN 2 tonight live at 7 p.m. But if you're going to the event, I believe it starts at 6 o'clock, a couple dark matches. And then they'll get things going, I think, around 6.45 before they go live on television around North America at 7 o'clock p.m. Um, everyone, thanks for uh, being with us. A real fun show today. 
Lots of interesting Jets topics to get to out of last night. Or last night, and of course, tomorrow, it's the big bad Bruins. Bring it on. Let's see what the Jets have back at home after overall a pretty successful road trip. We'll break it down tomorrow with uh, a number of regulars. I'm sure Marowicki's going to be coming on, and we will have a full review of our night at AEW this evening down at Canada Life Centre. Thanks so much for being with us. Tell a friend about Winnipeg Sports Talk if you haven't already. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and search Winnipeg Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts for the audio feed, which will be up shortly for our friends that uh, will be listening on the way home. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Patterson. Thanks to Chad Posthumus, Stephen Wino, and the great Murata Tesh. We will see you tomorrow getting ready for Jets and Bruins at Canada Life Centre right here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.